speaks publicly about the bombing, about his anger toward the U.S. government, and about his appeal. While he does not admit his guilt, he also doesn't proclaim his innocence. We met him at the maximum security U.S. penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana, where he now sits on death row awaiting a date for his execution. Because of his appeal, one of the conditions his lawyer laid down was that we not ask him directly, are you the Oklahoma City bomber? Maybe one of the benefits of me talking to you today is that you'll see that maybe not everything is true that you've heard about me. For example, what's not true? Well, am I, am I pure evil? Am I the face of terror sitting here in front of you? Or am I able to talk to you man to man? Most people in this country think you are the face of evil, don't they? They do. But sitting down here now, and let me make clear, I'm not sitting here trying to influence you. And I'm not putting on a game face. Uh, I'm not conning anybody. I'm just being me. And maybe people will listen, as opposed to not listening at a trial. But what people heard at his trial was a mountain of incriminating evidence detailing how Timothy McVeigh spent nine months meticulously planning the attack, amassing fuses, fuel oil, ammonium nitrate, and other materials for his homemade bomb, how he rented a rider truck under an assumed name, loaded it with 4,800 pounds of explosives, and how he then drove the truck to the federal building, lit a fuse, and walked away leaving the nine-story structure in ruins. This morning, the United States of America carried out the severest sentence for the gravest of crimes. The victims of the Oklahoma City bombing have been given not vengeance, but justice. And one young man met the fate he chose for himself six years ago. For the survivors of the crime and for the families of the dead, the pain goes on. Final punishment of the guilty cannot alone bring peace to the innocent. It cannot recover the loss or balance the scales, and it is not meant to do so. Today, every living person who was hurt by the evil done in Oklahoma City can rest in the knowledge that there has been a reckoning. At every point from the morning of April 19, 1995, to this hour, we have seen the good that overcomes evil. The the guilty cannot alone bring peace to the innocent. Under the laws of our country, the matter is concluded. Life and history bring tragedies, and often they cannot be explained but they can be redeemed. They're redeemed by dispensing justice, though eternal justice is not ours to deliver. By remembering those who grieve, including Timothy McVeigh's mother, father, and sisters, and by trusting in purposes greater than our own. May God in his mercy grant peace to all to the lives that were taken six years ago, to the lives that go on, and to the life that ended today.
Hoping that nobody ends their live today. This is Abs of the Six Pack for episode 196, I believe. I'm joined here by Cretchen of OBDM and Sir Wes of Beer, Bourbon, and Balderdash. How you doing, boys? What, wait, what What show am I on? What What happened here? Huh? Who am I talking to? Who is? How did you get this number? <laughs> uh. <laughs> That's a good belly laugh there. That's a classic. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Beer, Bourbon, and Balderdash, right? That's what, yeah. Let's just make uh, this your show. You can post it on your feed. <laughs> we'll do a part. Part one will be abs in a six-pack. Part two of the series will be Beer, Bourbon, and Balderdash. And then, Cretchit, I'm sure you have the keys to Mike's RSS feed. Part three can just go on OBDM's feed. Confuse everybody. Just confuse oh. the shit out of people. <laughs> um well, yeah, this is a new live son of a bitch. I forgot. This to is a new live son of a bitch. I'm so emphatic about that. Yes, and he bangs the table when he says it. I love that. Um, uh, I, I Before we get too far into it, I have a serious fucking bone to pick with Carolyn Blaney and Abel Kirby, who were in town like 15 minutes from where I live, went out to dinner with Billy Bones, and the only way I found out about it was because I'm friends with a waitress there who said, hey, do you know Billy Bones? Like, are they like no agenda people? And I was like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I couldn't have gone because I was working like a six, two 16-hour shifts back-to-back that day. But still, it's like, I mean, come on, people. Uh, but yeah, so it would have been cool to meet Carolyn. Also, I have to give a... Uh, I, I just have to... I had to bring that up because I told Abel Kirby I was going to complain about it on the next show, so I had to hold up to my end of the bargain. Let me do a Cretchen's style sip here. Oh, what, what are you drinking? What are we drinking? Tell I am drinking. <clears throat> I am drinking a cocktail... Of mm. vodka, pineapple juice, and ah. cranberry juice, made by the recently certified bartender Noah, who is the uh, on and again, on again, off again co-host of this show. It was over right now, but nice doesn't have his microphone with him. So. Um, and Cretchen, what are you drinking? Um, I am drinking a uh, generic store brand diet cola out of a Vladimir Putin coffee mug. Lovely. We got it. You're a dick. <laughs> And tonight I'm drinking Rebel Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey because Rebellion. Is that the Rebel Yell or is that a different one? No, it's a different one. It's it's. it's I was uh, say that Rebel Yell really is nice like... weeded. It's a really nice weeded whiskey. It's uh, it's very. It's from Lux Row Distillery. It's good stuff. Nice. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a. While we're speaking of bones to pick, I have one with Cretched. Cretched, uh, you know, on the last episode, you slammed Seattle. I mean, really hard. I mean, you said as a former resident of Seattle, I'm free to do that whenever nasty. I want. Hold on, man. It's it was really nasty, and I still live here. He did say it was the you, weather was great. Well, you you, you, you should right you should now. consider you should you should consider leaving Seattle and, and moving to America. Hold on, I'll, let me finish. Well, that's like his man, opinion, oh, man. Man, I just you are so right, <laughs> absolutely right. You're very right. You're very right, but uh, we're we're kind of married to uh, a job here on this coast with the ports, so uh, it it doesn't look like they uh, got we're they got ports and soon, oceans but... elsewhere. Go somewhere else. Yeah, there's someone's got twenty something years in the ports, so at, at a certain point, your um your your communist dictator governor is going to require oh. you to get a passport that says he's just done, the he's, People's Republic he's of more. Washington. Yeah, he's done a lot more too. Just this week, as a matter of fact. So it's it's fun times here. Well, it's okay. He'll be replaced by his uh, his um, goon <laughs> yeah, in training, Bob, Attorney General. I know. I hope not. 
Anyways, enough of that stuff. Thank you for saying that because I agree. And By the way, I, me, it just are, occurred to me. We are looking uh, elsewhere. A few weeks ago, like I, I saw someone refer to it kind of not deliberately or not directly, but and then it tripped in my head that we could have been referring to those two as like Jay and Silent Bob for years. Oh, my gosh. That's perfect. <laughs> well, they call him Jadolph here, which is pretty fitting <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah, famously, uh, well, I don't know. If, I think he I think he won the first episode of Battle Douchebags he was in. No, he yes, did? he did. Yeah, Jay fucking Inslee. Uh, Sir Bimrose brought uh-huh. Jay Inslee to that episode, and he made it to the finals. Yeah, it was glorious. Was but uh, I do have... Uh, oh, yeah, also, I was on a uh, John Breaks Bad News show that I do want to plug because it was a really fun time. He he does uh, John Breaks Bad News, also featured on Battle of Douchebags. He does a show where he breaks bad news to people. They, you can email him, and he and like uh, I think his main example is if, if somebody if you ran over your neighbor's dog and you don't have the heart to tell them uh or or it, and it's instead of buying a dog that looks the same and trying to pass it off you can just give him an email and he'll call the people and break the bad news that you ran over their dog for him so he does that service that's live on tiktok twitch youtube all that stuff so i did his other show called the most embarrassing show and we went over some old music and some old sketch comedy youtube videos from about 10 years ago or more and uh, I'll put that in the show notes because it was a really fun time. And uh, I just, were, were those sketch comedy that like you just find on YouTube, or were they produced for YouTube? We, we this was stuff I made for YouTube about ten years. Ago. Oh, stuff you made for YouTube. Yeah, so it's stuff like old content with, with Will Smith. <laughs> well, we didn't have that kind of budget. It was a bunch of homeschool kids making <laughs> bad comedy. But I, I'll put that in the show notes. I, I recommend it. I've been uh, I, I've been told it was the hardest. A lot of people have laughed at any of my podcasts, which is, uh, I don't know if that's, I've set a low, uh, the bar has maybe has been set low enough that they thought that was that funny, but uh, I, I, I'll i put that in the show notes for people to check out. And also I have a producer to thank, uh, Sir Candanavian, Paul, coming in single-handedly. This motherfucker is single-handedly run, funding the infrastructure for abs in a six-pack. Sir Candanavian coming in once again with 3333. So uh, thank you, sir, very much for... Uh, being an executive producer of this episode. With all that out of the way. And you may have heard him on our uh, Tylenol episode we did. He's a great guy. Another another Scandinavian. um, And I don't hold that against him, at least not to his face. (laughs) That's great. Um, But yeah, so I guess let's jump into where we left off last time, uh, Cratchit. And we got, um, I I know I teased the... uh, Terry Yakey. We're going to talk about the copper. Yeah. Uh, Which is worth a lot of money if you strip it out of the walls. Um, (laughs) But I guess I did have the the Tim. I did at the start of the the intro. I had the Timothy McVeigh 60 minutes interview. Kind of how that how that starts. Which is. And I think I told you this, uh, Sir Wes, the it's. The audio is like recorded from a VHS from another VHS from another VHS type of audio. It gets real wonky in there, mm-hmm. but it's the only copy available because it's otherwise been scrubbed. Yep. But, uh, do they, they store it in the same place? They do the, um, uh, was it the 60 minutes interview with, uh, George Soros? <laughs> yeah. And the Ark of the covenant. It's on the, it's on the same tape. Top men. Yeah. I'll, I'll play, uh, yeah, it's I'll, got a, that really grainy, cool, grainy thing. Like you would remember as your, V- VCR is tracking 
and trying to clean the heads on the VHS. It's pretty fantastic. It sounds suspiciously similar to when my voice meter garbles up. Yes, it does actually. Uh, but yeah, I'll play. I got a couple clips from that, and then I figured we can get into the uh, the actual weirdness of the uh, bombing itself and the damage to the building, and then uh, we'll go from there. Get into Terry Yiki and all that. Yiki, Yiki. I keep calling him Yiki, but I think it's Yiki. But yeah, here's uh, here's Tim McVeigh on sixty minutes talking about, or they're talking about how happy of a kid he was, pretty much, and all that. McVeigh says he was a happy kid. In your high school yearbook, you. Under future plans, you wrote, and I'm quoting here, okay. take it as it I'm comes, blow it up. buy a Lamborghini, <laughs> California girls. Right. Well, I'm dreaming. I'm putting down my dreams, you know. <laughs> if, I had a, if I could rob a genie in a bottle, that's what I wish for, right? Is that funny? It's pretty funny. After graduating high school, he worked briefly as a Chicken security guard. Unable to find steady employment, McVeigh joined the Army in 1988. Three years later, he was promoted to sergeant and sent to fight in the Persian Gulf War, where he was awarded several medals for heroism. In the Gulf, you saw combat? I did. You fired a weapon at the Iraqis? Yes. And killed soldiers? Yes. Was it a hurdle for you, or was it something that you just, well, this is the way it is? Well, I've... I've broken that question down over the years and analyzed it every way, you know, trying to trying to come to peace with it myself. In some ways, uh, I can see the, the right and wrong of it. The, the right, I thought, well, it was self-defense. The reason I fired is because I saw a muzzle, muzzle flash, and I instinctively fired around in that direction. But then I thought, well, at the same time, I'm in this person's country. What right did I have to come over to his country and kill him? What, how, how did he ever transgress against me? That experience, according to Timothy McVeigh, was the beginning of his transformation from loyal soldier to alienated critic of his government. So that's kind of uh, ahead of its time, right? What, what year was the 60 Minutes interview again? It was, uh, it was before Bush was president. So like a BuzzFeed article. <laughs> it's, it's, what was it, your high school motto? <laughs> I uh, slapping bitches and shooting Iraqis. <laughs> he was voted in high school most likely to blow up a federal building. I think that was that was in the. Oh, year I year. saw that. Yeah, yeah. It's weird how that happens. <laughs> he he, uh, he did it's not like cry. <laughs> the the news anchor or whatever the guy's name is, the sixty oh, yeah. minutes guy. He calls Tim McVeigh out for not crying during the trial. I was like, why didn't you cry during the trial? Timothy McVeigh's trial included hours of wrenching testimony from victims describing the carnage after the explosion. Through it all, McVeigh said impassively. How does he explain that? I was raised in an environment where men don't cry. Uh, you hold it back. Uh, obviously, there's a different uh, cultural phenomenon in America now with President Clinton uh, and his whole tear act all the time. But for me... <laughs> through coming into adulthood Zing. it's one of the things that a guy learns is how to hold back tears and not let it be shown yeah yep. uh, march 13th 2000 that's when the 60 minutes was yeah okay so maybe bush was just now in office like within a no but that was november of 2000 so this this was still when clinton was so, president oh okay 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 so bush didn't take office till january one, 2001 two, oh okay yeah, he didn't Man. steal the election till 2000. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, the, 
And some of those people in the building, their arms were blown right out of socket. Timothy McVeigh's trial included hours of wrenching testimony. That's why it was socket wrenching. Wrenching. Yeah, socket. Gotcha. But oh, I still I have, have to dig for that one. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was that wasn't worth it. That was good. I got it. That's what I know. Not, yeah. not the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> uh, so do you guys, I'll, I'll come back to McVeigh. I'll kind of sprinkle those uh, 60 minutes clips in throughout the show. Uh, I did pull some clips of Ted Gunderson, former FBI head of the LA division of the FBI. Is that correct? Yep. I believe he was so. Chief. <clears throat> And uh, he's he has a whole presentation that you sent me, Wes, on the Oklahoma City bombing, mostly focusing on the bomb. And uh, I'll just jump into that, and we can kind of go back and forth on the bomb. Because we touched on it last time, Crutchet, but it's kind of interesting that a fertilizer bomb would do damage to support columns when... Or not just damage, just obliterate support columns when a bigger bomb at the World Trade Center didn't even do anything close to that kind of damage in the truck was parked closer to the world trade center than it was the Oklahoma city. And, and yeah, like you said, we just kind of touched on, we didn't get into it, but there's all sorts of discussions from, uh, from physicists and things on like just the, the sheer amount of damage shouldn't, should yeah. not have been possible for um, just a couple of thousand pounds of stuff in the back of a truck parked way out at the street, by the way. And, and if you look at the way the that... building was, was damaged, like, like almost like it was inside the building. Yep. Also a truck that wasn't supposed to be able to handle that much weight. As well, mm, yep. yeah, and the and the amount of weight kept going up uh, as we'll get into mm-hmm. the uh, the inventor of the neutron bomb, I believe it was, was very vocal about. There's no way. Oh, Steve Neutron, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Jimmy Neutron. Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> but I still have the trampoline. I might mention. Oh yeah, this is sorry. This is Ted Gunderson talking about his trampoline. But I still have the trampoline. I might mention. Um, but the first thing I noticed is uh, I received a fax, and this fax uh, was a seismogram from the University of Oklahoma. And here is the seismogram. And this seismogram shows that there were two events. There's one event there and one event there, 10 seconds apart. By the way, that's my favorite social media site for plus-size models. Seismogram. And one event there, 10 seconds apart, one at 902 and 3 seconds, the other at 902 in 13 seconds. Here's a larger one of it. An enlargement of it. You can see there's one event there and there's one event there. And immediately the government came out and said it was a 1,200-pound ammonia nitrate bomb. And then they raised it up to, I think, 2,500. And then they raised it up to 4,800. And uh, knowing that an ammonia nitrate fertilizer bomb, we'll call it an ANFO bomb, only has one detonation, I said to myself, you know, there's something that doesn't fit right here. The University of Oklahoma says there's two ground swells, two detonations, and the government says it was an ammonia nitrate bomb. As far as I know, and according to him, and I, I couldn't find them recanted, although there was one professor that recanted, I believe the university still uh, is standing, has, stand, has stood firm, stood fast, that there were two... Uh, seismic activities, not just one at the time of the detonation. Yeah, there was actually, I, there's reports that there were three bombs and two of them didn't go off. 
And right, right, uh, yeah. But as far as the uh, as far as the ones that did go off, they didn't both go off at the same time. So theoretically, one was the truck mm-hmm. and one was inside the building. I mean, you could have multiple bombs all rigged to detonate at the exact same time, too. I would assume that's what plastic. Well, or for. I guess I don't think it would rate right on a, on a seismograph. But if they had a smaller explosion that then set off a larger detonation, but yeah. is that why it's called a seismograph to compare big and large and small explosions? Yes, it's size. It's spelled like that. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Size. It's a seismograph. Mograph. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so. You know who invented that, right? Tom uh, Sizemore. <laughs> He's dead now. So. Well, and it, and it also measured on a seismograph. Yeah, that did too. Yep. I thought that's. I thought well, that he, was. He's dead you, now, so you have to be careful. I thought, yeah. you, I thought that was like uh, when I heard seismograph. I thought it was like a literal dick measuring device. But uh, I have a clip on. I have a clip from News Channel Four, which Christian and I went kind of into a bunch of News Channel Four clips last time. But this is News Channel 4 reporting that the bomb squad vehicle was on scene before the actual bombing took place. There was this fairly large truck with a trailer behind it, and it had a shield on the side of the door, and it said bomb disposal or bomb squad below it. Authorities now claim in federal investigative reports that the huge ominous truck with its trailer was being used by a deputy to run routine errands. Oh. just so Wait, happened. routine errands? Like... Pick up the dry cleaning, stop by the uh, the grocery store. Running through Kroger's some, real quick, yeah. yeah. Hot pockets and Fun cigarettes bumps. and lottery tickets. Uh, yeah, there's there was a bunch of weird stuff that, and props to News Channel 4 for uh, reporting all this. And they, they also covered this right here. Other documents obtained by 2020 show that someone called the executive secretariat's office at the Justice Department in Washington and said, the Morrow building had been bombed, but this was 24 minutes before the blast. No action was apparently taken. Gotta love it when that happens. And uh, just one more from Channel 4 here. Yet another witness, a rescue worker, says after she talked with an agent at the bombing scene, she also suspected the ATF was warned an agent stayed away from their office that morning. I asked him if his office was in the building... And he said yes, and I asked if there were any ATF agents that were still in the building, and he said, no, we weren't here. Witness number one approached an ATF agent nearby. He claims he asked the agent what had happened, and witness number one says this is what the agent told him. He uh, started getting a little bit nervous. He tried reaching somebody on a two-way radio. Uh, Couldn't get anybody, and I told him I wanted an answer right then. He said they were in the briefing. None of the agents had been in there. They had been tipped by their pagers not to come into work that day. Plain as day out of his mouth. They were tipped. Why wasn't anybody else? Wow. That's, I, I think that's commendable that uh, television news media was covering those types of things, even after they were getting pushback. Yeah. They were the only. I mean, I get that it's local localized news. It's not national news, but still. But that was. I mean, that's early on. That was before uh, they decided they needed to change all the information. But this, uh, but actually, well, the last episode, you said this was the last one, the last news station to change any information. Correct. Yeah. So they. Is that what you found? Yeah. They. Um, they had. I can't remember the exact timeline, but it was. After the you know month and a half too much search for John Doe number two ended, they were still going hard. 
Okay. And but uh, I, I have this uh, clip from uh, no, the Noble Lie documentary. What happened to Channel Four? Well, initially that morning, all the media that was downtown there reporting were reporting the truth. They reported the truth about the uh, unexploded bombs, undetonated bombs being removed from the building. By afternoon, things began to ease it, it, a little bit. It just, you could sense a difference, and by the next day, everybody but Channel 4 had changed their story completely. One local station in Oklahoma City, KO4RTV, did perform its duty by reporting on McVeigh's accomplices, the evidence of prior warnings, and many other aspects of the case. The New York Times Broadcasting Company purchased KFOR a year after the bombing. The programming director was fired, the lead journalist on the bombing, Jana Davis, was let go, and all reporting that contradicted the government vanished. Whoops. <laughs> That's how that went. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of examples of this, stuff like... Uh, stuff getting bought out and i mean i I guess that's kind of what bill gates does in a in a buy them out boys yeah (laughs) if you can't beat them buy them yeah um i don't know i guess that's this is all kind of still touching on on stuff that uh that we covered last time did you did you guys want to talk about the the damage to building the bomb a little more itself yes I have a little more Gunderson, but I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, I already I already mentioned the uh, the inventor of the neutron bomb going off, but there was another general. What was his name? Parton or something? Do you know who I'm talking about? There was a there was a retired military general, of the United States military that was very public and did whole presentations on how there's no way that fertilizer bomb could have done that kind of damage to the building. Not even close. He said the most it would do with, from an air blast is blow out the windows, I think, which is something else Gunderson said, too. Yeah, because in, in the Gunderson report, and I just put it in the uh, in the chat room, I just put a link to it. He talks about how the in the World Trade Center, which was supposed to be kind of a, a similar bomb, ammonia nitrate bomb, it was only 1,200 pounds. And uh, if you go to page on that, page 26 on that report it shows the weight of the bomb and then the crater that it left it's pretty interesting how different it is from the oklahoma city bomb the world trade center and the one in saudi arabia so you could you could see it there and this is kind of what uh if you play that clip from gunderson what he talks about he's referring to this report obviously his own work uh, and in that report, too, it has all the New York Times and L.A. Times clippings from that time that talks about the bomb and uh, what they thought it was in the beginning. And then they changed the story. But it, the story, of course, doesn't pan out. Right. Yeah, I, I can play a little more of this Gunderson. It was aimed right at uh, the Murrah building. changing the slide there are uh, as i said a number of reasons why it was not an ammonia nitrate bomb i'm going to skip through them real fast the signature of the oklahoma city bomb was not that of a fertilizer bomb but it does match the signature of the a neutron bomb and the university of oklahoma geology survey reports that there were two blonde blasts in oklahoma city 10 seconds apart the media has ignored this as well as other evidence an ammonia nitrate truck bomb of the size reported does not produce a crater it blows upwards 
A growing number of bomb experts are coming forward and saying that it appears two or more sophisticated bombs were detonated inside the building. As a matter of fact, there is a video being circulated. I have a copy of it. We'll show it in the workshop tonight. Where um, they showed from five, for five hours after the blast, the news releases on television. And in two instances, in the first, they said that they discovered another bomb inside the building and everybody was running from the building and then they apparently detonated that, uh, not detonated, but uh, neutralized that bomb and then they came back and they said there was another bomb, a second bomb inside the building and in that particular instance the press release was made that it was an army bomb and the Oklahoma City bombing uh, squad could not neutralize that bomb and they had to call the army in. The so, if I understood what he just said right, they found a bomb that was a U.S. Army grade bomb, and they couldn't. Only the Army could defuse that bomb because it was an Army, a U.S. military bomb. Is that right? Yep. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, that's if that's true, that's a big uh, smoking gun there. Unless McVeigh maybe saved one from his time on the military base that he smuggled out of there. And <laughs> He's hanging on to it. Yeah, hung on yeah. To it for he five says, years. I'm, oh, I'm quitting Army, but I'm taking this with me. <laughs> Keep it under my bed. Yeah. Um, also, it's interesting to note, if you look at aerial views of the building after the bombing, uh, if he was on the street side, why did everything blow up out towards the street mm. rather than in towards the building? All the debris, the papers and everything, if you look at that footage, yeah, is blown out is, towards the street, outward. not away from it. And also, yeah. if, you, if you look at the the building, it does look like two bombs were detonated in the building because it kind of, from the edges, circles in and in the middle kind of dips back out towards the road. Yep. Which what doesn't make any sense if the, the why would the truck create two separate uh blast points on the building? Yeah, or why would it point that way to mm -hmm. towards the the one end of the building? And some of that footage, man, they they're not just picking up documents, they're picking up they're bringing weapons. And the ATFs to this day, they're they and ATF and FBI, their official line is there was no weapons or explosives stored in the Murrow building. But on footage, you can clearly see them picking up rifles and what looks to be plastic, plastic explosives out of the rubble and taking them back to their trucks. And there's lots of footage of this. Well, also, the parking lot for the building is across the street, which wasn't damaged. And they had cameras all over that building. And I don't know if you want to save this for the next episode, but there are... There's reports from the Secret Service that they have the videos of the bombing, but they've never been released to the public. Well, this clip's a little long. It's just a, it's a hair over three minutes, so feel free either of you to pause it as we go along if you have anything to comment on. But this is uh, regarding those cameras. And the details are chilling. We'll also focus on surveillance cameras, cameras that caught the bombing on tape. And maybe the men behind the bombing. The news channel has new information tonight that there's a chance surveillance tapes could be the smoking gun evidence. Now, we asked candid questions in a rare face-to-face -face meeting with ATF officials close to the investigation. We learned that video collected from downtown businesses the morning of April 19th may someday be played before a jury. Officials won't say who or what exactly is on the tape. However, numerous sources have confirmed the tapes exist and that they reveal more than one bomber. And I said, I want two other things from the FBI. I want the tapes from the surveillance cameras. 
leading up to the Murrow buildings on the day of the bombing, on the different buildings around the Murrow building. And I want the tapes from the cameras on the Murrow building because I had received a, a government document that said surveillance cameras show the bomb detonating three minutes and six seconds after the suspects exited the truck. Suspects, not one, plural. The fight now is over those tapes. They don't deny they exist. They just say we can't find them. By the way, this is uh, Jesse Trinidu, the lawyer we covered last time. Kenneth Trinidu's brother. The, the guy from Salt Lake City. Yeah, yeah. Now, the notion that this is the biggest crime the Bureau had ever investigated at that point in time, the largest mass murder in American history, the two most important pieces of evidence you have, the arrest of McVeigh and the videotape showing McVeigh delivering the bomb to the Murrow building, you can't find? Incredible. The enhanced photo shows a very distinct possibility of a man standing behind that truck. And the time sequence camera took additional photographs. So will those additional photographs show there was a man there? Will they show that he was alone? Will it show it was the suspect, Tim McVeigh? The additional photographs in the trial should help point that out. Uh, I think one of the things that stands out to me is the fact that, that during that first morning while we were being held at bay uh, from doing any recovery work, there were FBI agents, or at least men in FBI raid jackets, uh, dismantling the video cameras off the side of the building. I'm Charlie Rose. I'm with Legend Video Transfer. And Different Charlie Rose, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, what? <laughs> Not the one that interviewed George Soros. And uh, uh, the FBI had employed me to duplicate a number of videos for them uh, shortly after the Murrah bombing. I was asked to duplicate approximately 400 tapes for the FBI. We had two FBI agents in the office. We had two studios set up for duplication, and uh, each FBI agent was required to stay in the room with each of us that were in that room. Really didn't have the opportunity to sit back and watch the videos. There's probably a lot to learn, you know, from the videos that they saw. Some of them are, are meaningless, but others, you know, could make some, some powerful impact on uh, what actually happened. The government will not release the film that was on the, in the video cameras on the front of the building that would show whether I was accurate or not accurate. That last guy talking was one of the bombing survivors who said there was uh, two different detonations. And he's like, well, it's like, yeah, I heard well, two different explosions and they won't release the tapes to let me know if I was right or not. Yep. I have an article here. Um talks about that whole thing. Secret Service document written shortly after 1995 Oklahoma City bombing describes security video footage of the attack and witness testimony that suggested Timothy McVeigh may have had accomplices at the scene. It later goes on in this article. I could post it. Uh, talks about how they lost it. Whoops. We don't have it anymore. Yeah. And that they had it on uh, all kinds of doc. Uh, what would they say here? They said it's on a bunch of floppy disks, <laughs> whatever it was. 
they have higher definition on some on some discs and uh and then of course with McVeigh's trial anything that would prove that the that they're hiding evidence against him uh he wouldn't get the death penalty so they conveniently lost it we don't have it it says a uh, secret service agent named McNally noted that this fact is significant due to the fact that the security video shows that the rider truck pulling up to the federal building and then pausing for 10 seconds before resuming into the slot in front of the building is speculated that there was a woman who was waving him on was signaling the truck when a slot became available. Well, thank God she wasn't driving. That's all I'll say. (laughs) So they, you know, they can make up all these stories, but there's no video evidence which is always, um, it's reasonable doubt. Right. And, and, uh, like what we were talking about last time is all the tapes that they did release under the FOIA, they had selective edits or, or, uh, just, you know, spots where the tape would go dark and dark. And they said, that's where we were changing the tapes. The tapes were cycling, but the cameras that were physically on the Murrow building, they first said those cameras never existed. And then when it was proven that the cameras did existed, they said, Oh, well we lost those tapes. Yep. And the cameras apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh and even the even the FBI agent in charge of evidence collection for the Oklahoma City bombing alleges a cover up. We know there were 24 people that were interviewed by the FBI that said they saw Mr. McVeigh on April 19th with someone else and they had no reason to to make it up. They didn't have a dog in that fight. They didn't have any reason to just to make something up. They they told the agents exactly what they saw and the agents wrote it down. If only one person had seen it or two or three, but 24, 24 people say, yes, I saw him with somebody else. That's pretty powerful. That's Danny Colson, the man in charge of the FBI evidence collection of the Oklahoma City bombing, like I said. So that's uh, that's fairly significant that the man in charge of the FBI's investigation who was later uh, taken off that task is still saying cover-up. Yep. Uh, Whoops. Whoopsie. I don't know. I never did get to all that PBS last show, Chris. you want to do some little more PBS news hour? Sure. Yeah, that's just riveting. Timothy McVeigh himself was not a member of a, of a militia, but you're, you're convinced that that context is the way to understand him? Without question. McVeigh himself writes, uh, he talks in interviews that we've, we got access to in tape-recorded interviews about the, the, the anger he felt, the rage he felt at Ruby Ridge in particular and Waco and the radicalization that happened in part because of those events. And in addition to that, a series of other exposures to this movement. The the Turner Diaries was his Bible. The Turner Diaries is a horrible novel, racist novel that became a almost a talisman to this movement, a, a very important motivating force. And it actually describes a bombing of an yeah. FBI building in Washington. So it's it even a model. It describes the kind of bomb that's very similar to the one McVeigh used. So he was steeped in the ideas of this movement. He was steeped in the ideology. It, it's a very diffuse movement, and being a member of a militia is really sort of irrelevant. Oh, 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 my gosh, oh, should have been running that in the background while they were talking. Oh, yeah. Try that again. Do it again. Timothy oh, McVeigh himself oh, was not a member gosh, of, of oh. the militia, but you're, Take two. you're convinced that that context is the way to understand him? Without question. McVeigh himself Ugh. writes, 
uh, <laughs> some interviews that we've, we've had access to in tape recorded interviews. <laughs> All right, one more from PBS, and that'll wrap and, us. Well, well I, I wanted to bring up that, so this is about the, the, the Kathleen Turner Diaries. What, what the hell was that? Yep, Kathleen Turner yeah. Diaries. It's uh, Romancing the Stone. Not to be confused with Passing the Stone. So she, or she Jewel wrote, of the Nile. Wrote that under her pseudonym, the uh, what Joan Wilder, wasn't that it? God, why yeah, do you know that shit? That, wow, dude, that was deep. You pulled that way, 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 way in the back of your brain. That was good. Wow. The stuff I've got wow. socked away. Yeah. It's, keep yeah, that, keep that at the ready. You never know. <laughs> that was wild. <laughs> wow. Wow. The film also shows the role conspiracy theories about Waco and Ruby Ridge played in roiling this right wing movement. Roiling this right wing movement. Roy, yeah, roiling. Ro- ro- roiling the right. Ro- <laughs> roiling the right. Times. God, jeez. What does that mean, roiling? roiling like, put a crown on it? No, roiling yep. means, like, to boil. Bro- I think that's broiling. So it means it means stirred up. I think stirred I think you're thinking of broiling, not roiling. Bro- so when you boil and roil, you're, you're broiling. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's- broiling. Some will no doubt see parallels to today. Goodman takes a longer view. I would say that this is a movement that waxes and wanes throughout American history and, and sort of appears in waxes. different forms, uh, whether it's, you know, going back to Shays' Rebellion at the beginning of the, of the history of our country up through the Red Scare, the Klan years. There's a lot of different manifestations. Is he talking about Wu-Tang? Yep. I figured. Mm-hmm. Up through stuck on the Red Scare, the <laughs> Klan years. There's a lot of different <laughs> manifestations, but what unites all of it are two things, really. One is a deep enmity towards the federal government, a feeling that the federal government is the seed of all evil and is, is a tool in the hands of enemies like the Jews, like blacks, like <gasps> the UN Jeez. now. The other thing that really characterizes... <laughs> that's, that's my... I love it. The Jews, the blacks, the UN, all three, three <laughs> equatable things. ...like the Jews, like blacks, like the UN now... The other thing another, that really another, characterizes the, the, the UN, a, another min, like harassed and targeted minority group. <laughs> no minority. The blacks, yeah. the Jews, and the UN. Just three the big UN. old victim groups there. Yeah. I, I was going to say when he, when, he said, when he said the UN, I was like, well, he already said the Jews. That's the Holy Trinity. <laughs> and the un, un-Nazi the world. Blacks like yeah, the, the UN un. now. The other thing that really characterizes it is a sort of conspiratorial thinking that a way of connecting mm. dots that place this movement yes. in, in a kind of context of a war. And in this war, um, it's, an, it's an all or nothing. You know, we either going to win as the white race or we're going to lose. Despite the theories of a larger conspiracy at work, the film shows how McVeigh, with some help from two friends, was able to pull off the bombing. Did you come to any conclusions about how this act of domestic terrorism changed the country or changed our sense of our own security ourselves? I think it had a, a tremendously transformative of effect. I think, first of all, for law enforcement, there was never again a naivete about the threat from domestic terrorism. I think if you went to the FBI today and you really talked to people, unlike perhaps some politicians, they are very focused on the threat from domestic terrorism. They understand it. And they're and they're paying attention to it. And I think just for the for the ordinary citizen, um, although we we you know this movement is so kind of oscillates, it sort of 
can, and it did after Oklahoma City, retreat and recede that we sometimes forget about it. It's still there. It never goes away, and then it, it will come back. And I think in recent years you've seen more and more of an uptick. Dylan Roof in, in Charleston and uh, any number of other such actions are no longer quite as shocking. Uh, we understand that this is part now of a, of, of a motif in American life, um, and I think that the recent incarnation of that started with Oklahoma City and Timothy McVeigh. From Washington, I'm Jeffrey Brown for the PBS NewsHour. I just had a freaking psychological orgasm. Was it? Wow. I, like, I, like I said last time. <laughs> yeah, wow. Wow. I, wow. Like I said last time, I was not uh, alive during the time. But at the time of the bombing, was it widely reported that Timothy McVeigh was a white supremacist or just an anti-government loon? I thought it was more of the latter. I mean, um, after the bombing? But now they're like, he hated Jews and blacks. And worst of all, he hated the U.N., well, the, the UN hatred from any of the militias, like we talked about last time, was kind of widespread. That was the the de, the de facto enemy was the UN flying black helicopters in, you know, the, over the Canadian border into uh, into um, uh, into Michigan and bringing in Russian tanks on train cars, and it was all the UN stuff. Uh, so that was kind of that was kind of the boogeyman at the time. I think the, now they're trying to coach it in the in the 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 general milieu of the uh of the white supremacist you know sort of thing so they can they can tie all that in too right so it wasn't time, that, it was it just, wasn't it was under, just militia it wasn't a, under a racial lens at the time of the mcveigh no i i would say the the best most generic way to phrase it was anti-government militia would be the, mm-hmm. the most generic phrasing of any of these these good old boys who get on their atvs and go fire pistols in the air and yell yeehaw yeah, so it was like a, it was like a more uh, competent Dale Gribble. Remember the gun club he had in King of the Hill? It was like eight dudes yeah. that just met at that cavern in the woods and would like yeah. almost nearly blow their own kneecaps and feet off every time. Yeah, yeah, like, and, and that was I think that's that's a fair way to say that was kind of the the general uh, um, uh, impression that people got about these militias was oh yeah you know okay it's, it's probably not great that they're out there doing that but they're harmless they can't really do much every now and then there's a robbery or there's a you know a bank robbery or there's there's something that goes on but this you know the Oklahoma City bombing them tying it to that was kind of a, a wake up call and I think probably the death knell for these these general th- those types of organizations at least that's that's my impression okay yeah that makes sense. Uh, I guess that kind of leads, when it comes to the militia stuff, getting back to that, that kind of ties into the, back to the 60 Minutes interview with Timothy McVeigh. This is, uh, the reporter asked him something like, well, when you're fighting the government, is violence an acceptable option? There are many options. Is violence an acceptable option? Violence? If government is the teacher. (laughs) What did you, what did you say? said violins Vi- violins violins yeah violence is sometimes an option there are many options is violence an acceptable option that's where you need the sound in the background if of playing a violin government is the teacher violence would be an acceptable option what do you mean well um what did we do to sudan what did we do to afghanistan belgrade um what are we doing with the death penalty it appears they use violence as an option all the time. 
So if the government uses this, it, it's okay for us as citizens to use it. Yes. I'll uh, I'll let my explanation stand for itself. When we come Take back, that, Timothy McVeigh tells us why he doesn't think he got a fair trial. And we'll hear from the jurors who convicted him and sentenced him to death. McVeigh also talks about his life on death row and his remarkable jailhouse conversations with another notorious criminal, the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. best i could do on the fly violin music I, actually no, at, that was, at times that was that was pretty good it was fantastic actually uh, i agree i was thinking more like an eight-year-old like scratchy violin like some kid trying to play <laughs> no this was better <laughs> like squidward playing the freaking clarinet yeah um but yeah i thought that was interesting that uh and we'll come to that later but little bit they give you but it's like 60 Minutes was even covering, yeah, and he was hanging with a Unabomber. They were shale, shared a jail cell. It's like, oh, uh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, you know, the frustrating is, thing is... Is that true is, that McVeigh and, the, and um, Kaczynski shared a jail cell? Let me back it up. because Yeah, maybe, they talked. Uh, yeah, they talked at least in jail. Let me make sure I was right about that. Jurors who convicted him and sentenced him to death. McVeigh also talks about his life on death row and his remarkable jailhouse conversations with another notorious criminal, the Unabomber, Ted. Okay, yeah, so jailhouse conversations. I'm not sure exactly what that means. No, he talks about it. He talks about how where he comes from, McVeigh, comes from a very kind of conservative perspective oh, about right. uh, what goes on. Uh, Ted really follows more of a technology perspective. So Timothy finds a moral high ground through a conservative worldview that liberals are destroying the world and, and this is a plan that they have. And Timothy sees it as technology is really, we're over socializing. We're destroying ourselves. And, and no, that's that needs to be, be Ted or Theodore. That's what, that's what I said. Didn't oh, okay. uh, So Kaczynski, so Kaczynski thought that way. So he, he saw it as they, they're coming at it from a different point of view. Right. Yeah. I actually have the, I can skip ahead to the clip on that. If you want to do that, do it. In 1997, Timothy McVeigh was sentenced to death. He now lives on death row at a federal prison in Indiana, where he spends nearly all of his time, 23 hours a day, in a jail cell, with virtually no contact with other inmates. Until last summer, he was incarcerated at this penitentiary in Colorado. And one of his neighbors on the cell block was another notorious criminal, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Did you ever talk to Kaczynski? I did. Do you think that you and he share similar concerns about how the government operates these days? We have somewhat different views, but there is some common ground there. I found that in a way that I didn't realize that we were much alike in that all we ever wanted or all we wanted out of life was the freedom to live our own lives, uh, however we chose uh, and he expressed that one day, and it hit me that, well, you know, the, this labeling, he's a, he's far left, I'm far right, that's all out the window. Uh, there's a lot more commonality there. You both think you had lost the freedom to live your life the way you wanted to, and you think that the government took those freedoms from you? From my perspective, I believe that it's a problem with government. From Ted's perspective, he believes it's a problem with technology. Let me ask you your opinion, just uh, 
snapshot opinion of some of the institutions in this country and, and, and some officials in this country. What's a snapshot opinion? Snapshot is famously a hunting term where you shoot without aiming only in the general direction. So I guess he's asking for a hip fire off the cuff. Shoot from the hip. Yeah. Shoot from the hip. Snapshot opinion of some of the institutions in this country and, and, and some mm. officials in this country. Uh, ATF, for example, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Bureau. Should Ooh. not have law enforcement. Uh, oh, I just naming three Should favorite things. Taxation agency. The IRS. <laughs> By the way, those are probably my three favorite things. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> if, we, if it was the Bureau of Alcohol, <laughs> if it was the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Titties, Bro, I'd sign up today. <laughs> I believe they're an out-of-control agency. FBI? Should be reined in. What do you think of the Attorney General, Jan Reno? <laughs> they say if That's you don't have man. anything good to say about somebody, you don't say it. Yeah. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could. Uh, I wish I had the Will Ferrell sound drops to play right when he asked it. I know. That's the best. Reined in. What do you think of the Attorney General, Jan Reno? They say if you don't have anything good to say about somebody, you don't say it. So I'm we'll serious. go on to the next person. President Clinton. Uh, I don't hold him in high regard. Uh, Timothy McVeigh says he has little faith that the judicial system will grant him a new trial. The judge is expected to reach a decision on his appeal by the end of the year. If McVeigh loses, he will likely be executed in this room by lethal injection. Are you prepared for death? I am. Well, at least he's got that taken care of. Wait, wait. Did, did they film that interview like in the in the in the the uh, the, the death chamber with the electric yeah. chair or something? Was he sitting in the electric chair? Allegedly, the he was in his <laughs> jail cell. I think that's what they made it look like. At least they went to the prison yeah. to interview him. Oh, so maybe there was a maybe there was a cut in shot of this room. So as opposed to the room they were actively st- you know interviewing in. Yeah, like Tommy Wiseau. Thought maybe they're all oh, the uh, yeah that that's the best movie ever made. I did not hit her. Oh, hi, Mark. Uh, man, if they ever do make a Ted Kaczynski movie, that, uh, Tommy should play him. Uh, so I, I guess because uh, I did promise it. I before we, I mean, we're not that close to the end here. We got another, we got another hour, but we got two hours I, to go. We got a, a, about an hour. I know Wes has to leave in about an hour, and I got I promised Billy Bones uh, some pool games tonight. So Noah and Billy Bones and I are going to play some pool. Part three. Um, some, some pocket pool. Yeah. Some billiards. Uh, so, Billy, yeah, we got, but within, within the next hour, I do. I think it deserves a good uh, a good chunk of time allotted to Terry Yeeky. Yeeky. Uh, Yeeky. Is it Yeeky or Yeeky? Yeeky. Doesn't matter. Like potato, potato. Potato. <laughs> He's not alive. He doesn't care. Uh, that's true. That's, that's fair. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got a backgrounder, I got a backgrounder, uh, from that documentary, Noble Ligon that just kind of gets us up to speed. I know we talked about this a little bit last show, but this is a uh, clip 69 in my clip list too. Just had to point that out. Officer Yankee was um, just over 30 years old at the time of the bombing. And the morning of the bombing, he was issuing a traffic ticket near the uh, Civic Center Music Hall, which is about four blocks to the west of where the Murray building stood. Um, he dropped the ticket book, let the uh, 
the woman go, and she says, I have to obviously attend to other things. He heard the multiple blasts coming from the Murrah building. Sped up there in his black and white squad car and immediately started pulling out the first of, of eight people, Mr. Tom Hall being the first, a former employee of the GSA. Um, Tom, to this day, in fact, I talked to him a couple weeks ago, still has the utmost respect for Officer Yaki. He literally saved his life. Officer Yaki, um, being an, an astute police officer for seven years, veteran of the Oklahoma City Police Department, um, knew that something was horribly wrong. He tried to get the, the official storyline out through his commanding officers at the Oklahoma City Police Department, through his family, through his ex-wife. And uh, he chose to withhold some of the storyline because he was in fear of for his family and his wife and his, his two young daughters at the time. What we found out, between the hours of 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. that, that morning, um, he was brutally murdered a mile and a half from the uh, front gate of the Areno Penitentiary. From that moment that his body was found, we know that the crime scene was destroyed. There were spade shovels that were uh, used to turn over the crime scene, uh, ballistics, any gunpowder residue, anything that had to do with his death was, was completely destroyed, it was corrupted. He started uh, having problems with it, not only at work, but his apartment got broke into, his car got broke into, things were stolen out of his house. He had accumulated reports, evidence, I don't know what at all, but he was going to take it out to a mini storage in El Reno and he left one one night and he told a friend of his that they were going to go out to dinner he says I got to run out and, and put some stuff in mini storage and as soon as I, I shake these feds that are following me I'll be back and we'll go to dinner well he never came back so that's the kind of backgrounder for Terry Yakey I have to say that piano music you know and a two-minute clip is not bad, but when they loop that piano music throughout a two-hour documentary, it makes yeah, you want to blow your brains out. <laughs> it's like God. Did they we... only did they only license two minutes? And they just yeah. kept looping it. <laughs> it just was like Good the same. I mean, there was a couple other background musics, but overall, it was that same fucking piano music the whole thing. It's like it's we hard just... to watch. Yeah. It's hard to watch. You watch that whole thing too. Yes, Alex it's Jones really hard to watch, mainly because of the piano yeah. music, right? Yes, because your brain, you're like, ugh. It's yeah. Just, yeah. I think it was We Are Change was a, uh, at least partly, if not fully, behind that documentary. It's a good documentary. There's good information. By the way, Cratchit, I looked it up. I still cannot determine whether or not it's true that the Whitewater and Mena, Arkansas documents were housed in the Murrow building. I don't know what they base that on in the documentary. And I see it on like Reddit and stuff, and it's just kind of can. I don't want. I'm not going to say it's true or not true because I just don't have any solid evidence of it. Well, yeah, I, I think I think they may be conflating a couple of things there because there's, there's there's the stories of the agents running out there picking up documents and things, but right. Yeah. Meanwhile, well, did that, you that see any sure investigation that was on camera, into the? I don't know what the documents were. As of today, the Clinton Foundation, any information about the Clinton Foundation and their wrongdoings was uh, destroyed by the FBI because well, they, they needed the, they needed the drive space. Wrong. They had to delete that. Yeah. Well, that that's a, actually a common theme. And including Oklahoma City bombing, where they actually said that some of the videotapes were re-recorded over because they needed the video space. Like the movie. limited budget, man. Yeah. Hillary Clinton, more like Hillary Clint, son. Bitch got a pussy. I mean, she got a real pussy. You could stick loose change inside. Productions. Good Lord. The name of the production company. That full clip is Poking the name man. of the production company. Go to the polls. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who created 
Pokemon Go. You don't have that on hand. You played that a billion times. On I only Battle played it in Battle of Douchebags. Yeah, I guess I it's fantastic. It. It's a great clip. Uh, let me give me a second. I gotta just, take a I'm piss like a motherfucker. So I'm gonna play this and I'll be right back. Okay. Well, the know, piano music. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah, the that piano. This can go on in this day and age. With not the Seinfeld music. The only one here. We've got other deaths. <laughs> just do the Seinfeld themes. I don't know if you before during the for like the first thirty minutes before um, either you joined the clean feed call. I was just looping the Seinfeld theme song. For, yeah, for I like, wanted to die. <laughs> hey, it's better than the dude. If they would have had the Seinfeld theme song in the background on <laughs> instead of that piano music during the Oklahoma City b- bombing documentary, it would have been a way better documentary. Probably. Well, you know, it's it's just incredible that this can go on in this day and age. Not just Terry's not the only one here. We've got other deaths surrounding the Oklahoma City bombing. We've got Dr. Charles Chumley, who went down in a, in a very strange plane crash in Texas, and he was one of the first doctors that was there, and he refused to cooperate with some of the government requests. But I'll tell you right now that Terry, uh, Terry and Dr. Chumley were definitely connected. They had. Uh, uh, been involved together, had been going over pictures, information on the bombing, and that that has been uh, denied on several occasions. In fact, Gonzalez was probably one of the most verbal that no one could prove that Terry and Chumley had had any connection. But I'll tell you this, and this information just came to me yesterday, um, and I'm, I'm working on getting this substantiated, but apparently Terry and Dr. Chumley had a joint uh, safety deposit box. And I will not state where, but this information did come to me yesterday. I'll say that again. A joint safety deposit box at a local Terry, downtown bank. And Terry Yankee and, and Dr. Dr. Chumley, who was one of the first doctors on the scene who died in a plane crash very mysteriously. And I talked to the NTSB investigators on it, and they said, there's nothing wrong with this airplane. Other than it was all bent up and broken hole, but I mean, they couldn't find a mechanical reason for the airplane to come down from 6,000 feet straight down into a cabbage field in Shamrock, Texas, you know. Well, now, how odd is that, Tanya, that they would share a safety deposit? Very odd. Um, and another thing was that people had tried to say Terry and Chumley didn't even know each other. Uh, Chumley had worked on Terry's back uh, several years ago. I know they had met each other prior to the bombing, but for them to have a uh, relationship to where they would have a Safety deposit box together? No. And that they both would turn up dead? They were chums. I don't... I, that was a completely wrong clip. I'm sorry. I played that one way too early. But that is an interesting clip that this doctor that uh, had worked with Terry in a medical sense, he and Terry Yiki, Yiki were uh, trying to collect evidence together and both trying to do on the hush-hush on the down low, and both of them wound up dead. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that Terry had someone else working with him. Yeah, so the doctor was there on the scene helping people, uh, uh, treating people medically, from what, from my understanding. And him and and Terry was pulling people out of the rubble, and they'd already known each other, and they both were like, "Something's not, something's not right here." Let's, uh, and they were collecting evidence over the next uh, several months, and they both wound up dead. Yeah. And that the fact that they supposedly had a shared safety deposit box is interesting because that kind of lends credence to this idea that they were collecting evidence together, re- getting ready to go public. Yeah, even his death, which I'm sure we'll probably get into, sounds like a torture and then a murder rather than anything else. So I think he was, they wanted information prior to. And like you said earlier, that it's it sounded like, you know, maybe it's a warning to the doctor. Do we know if the doctor's still alive? Oh, Chumley? Yeah. Oh, he died in a plane crash. 
of suspicious plane crash right around the time of Terry's Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. And now I, I did play this. This was kind of the teaser I played last time, but I'll just give you a taste. Uh, this is AM 1300. We're talking with Tanya Yeke. Her husband, Terry Yeke, was on the Oklahoma City Police Department, and as I understand it, Tanya, you tell me if I'm wrong, he was the first Oklahoma City police officer in the building after the explosion. Within, what do you say? A minute. Within a minute. Within a minute after the explosion. He turned up dead in a field outside of Oklahoma City. Uh, what part? A year later, well, two and a half miles west of El Reno Reformatory is what the death certificate says. Okay. Now, Craig, go ahead. Okay, now... Craig Roberts is with us, by the way. No, I'm not. You're not? No, I'm never here. <laughs> He's on tape. I am I am uh, uh, Joe Schmuckatelli, and I, I, uh, I work for Ken Rank. I, I, I guard his house when he makes phone calls to Arkansas. You're making me feel awfully vulnerable here. <laughs> Good, because everybody needs to be a little bit paranoid, Ken. All right. No one can say we don't have a sense of humor around here at uh, KGB headquarters, you know. That last comment, KGB headquarters, what was that about? Is he making a joke about Russian prop them being labeled Russian propaganda even back then? Could be. I guess that was in vogue in the nineties. The Red Scare was still kind of going on, right? Remnants of the eighties. It's been in vogue for a very long time. <laughs> it felt like I didn't gr- see. I didn't grow up with it though. Like the Russia's fear mongering, I didn't notice it in the zeitgeist until. During the Trump presidency, really. Maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention. Any collusion? Yeah. Um, I, this next clip is still from the AM 1300 uh, Tanya Yaki interview. This next clip is fascinating to me on multiple levels because I would. this is a smart practice if this is really how the feds play operations when there's uh, people that aren't read into the operation there on scene. Uh. They have to go and talk to a uh, a chaplain or a priest, and uh, I just find I find this fascinating for multiple reasons. All the officers. That- Whoa, is that Tim McVeigh? Is this, uh, Woo. We, we turned into sixty minutes for a second there. Let's try that again. All the officers that have been down at the site were required to speak to the chaplain, and uh, Terry was under the impression that uh, whatever his conversations with the chaplain was, because of the nature of his position, uh, were confidential. So they're required, after an event like this, the entire police force and emergency responders are required, not suggested, according to her, required to go speak to a chaplain. Hmm. I just find that fascinating. Because of the nature of his position, uh, were confidential. Um... Apparently they weren't, <laughs> because everything that was stated, and I think Terry had been very honest with Chaplain Poe. Um, anything that he saw, what he felt about it, he shared with him. And it is my understanding that a report was written up on anything that Terry and several other officers had to say. And I don't want to identify who any of those other officers were. Right. So um, Chaplain Poe had intimate knowledge, apparently, of... Uh, of what Terry had seen as well. 
Okay, now, now some of the things that he may have seen, you know, uh, we're, we're talking about, we're going to have to speculate a little bit, but uh, we have reports of what was supposedly seen by various people in the building that had, had gone inside was there was at least one, if not two, large pits in the building where explosives had gone off inside and blown down and up. Right. And uh, one of them went through, like, the parkade area and took out a lot of reinforced concrete. And I've had several uh, people that were inside the building tell me they saw the same thing. They called that the pit. They weren't, they weren't describing that little bitty crater out front. They were talking about a big hole. Right. And uh, now we also had, um, uh, of course, Jane Graham talks about these these guys that she saw putting some kind of putty material on the columns, and not all the columns went down, so we can assume there's possibility he saw some of this stuff still on columns that did not go off. That uh, I, I, yeah, we didn't even mention the craters that all these witnesses said they saw one to two giant craters, depending on the witness, inside the building themselves that were much larger and deeper than the outside crater of the truck bomb. I just find that just like a it's a smart move if you have an operative uh some kind of fed or CIA guy that's a priest, pastor, chaplain, somebody that you say okay, you guys need to go in and just you know, just for your own mental health and spiritual health, you go in and talk to this guy that you think you can trust about what you saw and that dude's an operative. The chaplain's yeah. an operative and he just reports immediately back. Anybody that's like well, I saw this, and I don't know what I should tell anybody. And like immediately, now you're on the watch list because you talk to the federal, the Fed that's posing as a chaplain, or really is a chaplain on payroll. It's just, I don't know. As soon as I heard that, I was like, "Ooh, that's creepy." There's a letter here. I don't know if this is a, a real letter, but apparently, Yiki wrote a letter to a victim of the bombing, Ramona McDonald. Is she I don't related know if you to saw Ronald? this? <laughs> yeah, Ronald McDonald. Or Mac on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, can I read it real quick? Yes. It says, Dear Ramona, I hope that whatever you hear now and in the future will not change your opinions about myself or others with the Oklahoma City Police Department, although some of the things I'm about to tell you about is very disturbing. I don't know if you recall everything that happened that morning or not, so I'm not sure if you know what I'm referring to. The man that you and I were talking about in the pictures I have, I made the mistake of asking too many questions as to his role in the bombing and was told to back off. I was told by several officers he was an ATF agent who was overseeing the bombing plot, and at the time the photos were taken, he was calling in his report of what had just went down. I think my days as a police officer are numbered because of the way my supervisors are acting, and there is a lot of secrets floating around now about my mental state of mind. I think they're going to write me up because of my ex-wife and a VPO. I told you about talking to Chaplain Poe. Well, the bastard wrote up in a report stating I should be relieved of my duties. I made the mistake of thinking that a person's conversation with the chaplain was private, which, by the way, might have cost me my job as a police officer. A friend at the headquarters told me that Poe sent out a letter to everyone in the department. That bitch, Joanne Randall... I told you about is up to something, and I think it has something to do with Poe. If she gets her way, they will tar and feather me. I was told that Jack Poe was written up, has written up a report on every single officer that's been in to see him, including Gordon Martin and John Avery. Knowing that what I know now and understanding fully just what went down that morning makes me ashamed to wear a badge from Oklahoma City's Police Department. I took an oath to uphold the law and to enforce the law to the best of my ability. 
This is something I cannot honestly do and hold my head up proud any longer if I keep my silence, silence as I'm ordered to do. There are several others out there who was what we saw. There's a missing letter there. And even some who played a role in what happened that day. And then it says two pages are missing. And then he goes on to name some other people. Mm. So it's interesting that he calls out Chaplain Poe. Yeah. And that the guy stabs him in the back. Who was he calling a bitch? Uh, It's a woman named Joanne Randall. Yeah, but I don't mean bitches in a disrespectful way. I mean it as a general word for women. Uh, and then, of course, shortly after, he, he uh, quote-unquote kills himself. Yeah, let's go through the... Uh, and like this is a little over two minutes, so feel free to stop it. But this is uh, from We Are Change, Oklahoma. This goes over the death scene of Terrence, uh, Terry or Terrence Yickey. Sergeant Yickey had witnessed things during his response to the bombing, which did not agree with the official version of events touted by the national media and law enforcement at that time. He was in the process of collecting evidence, which supported and documented the inconsistencies he witnessed the morning of the bombing at the scene itself. According to the Yankee family members, Terrence Yankee was to meet a colleague in the restaurant directly behind me the morning of May 8 of 1996. He was to discuss records that he had collected regarding the, the Oklahoma City bombing, which were stored in a storage facility about an hour's drive north of here. Terrence Yankee never made it to that restaurant in El Reno because on the morning of May 8 of 1996, at 7 a.m., his vehicle was found in a spot just behind me by a resident living up this road no more than a mile away. It was from 7 a.m. until 6 p.m. that the car would sit here, full of blood, and according to Terry's sister Vicki, there was actually blood in between the window panes in the back of the vehicle. In addition to the blood, there was an unidentified knife found in the bottom of the glove box, along with razor blades, the car keys, and the windows rolled up tight. What's an unidentified knife? Did they think it was a spoon? That's like an unlicensed ammunition. <laughs> it's a, it's an unidentified knife. I think it might be a spork, maybe a handkerchief. Identified knife found in the bottom of the glove box, along with razor blades, the car keys, and the windows rolled up tight. The car was locked. Terry's body was nowhere to be found. Until later that evening, between 7 and 8 p.m., OCPD helicopters, in addition to the Canadian County Sheriff as well as El Reno police would have a large search party looking for Terry's body no more than a half a mile from where we're standing. It is important to note how, exactly how, Yankee is supposed to have killed himself. He was said to have slit his wrists and neck, causing him to nearly bleed to death in his car and then miraculously climb over a barbed wire fence. He then was purported to have walked over one and a quarter mile distance through a nearby field eventually shooting himself in the head at an unusual angle. Startlingly, no weapon was found at the scene of the body. No investigation was conducted, no fingerprints taken, and no interviews with family members or friends were conducted to try and determine why Yaki would have been suicidal, or if he had in fact been suicidal at all. Instead, the conclusion that Yaki's death was a suicide was reached immediately without an autopsy. Well, and I I didn't even, uh, I guess I should have mentioned it before that clip. According to his ex-wife, 
when he was acting strange and kept coming by the house at weird times of night, which was totally unlike him. The last time she saw him, he dropped off. He He's like, get my car. I have something I have to give you. It's like, and don't tell anyone you have it. And it was a VHS player. Or, sorry, not um, what's it? Not a VHS, but what's it called when you have like the camcorder? I used to have one as a kid, like one of those camcorders that has the miniature VHS tapes. Tape deck. Oh, like a high eight or something like that. Yeah, and he gave he gave her the camera, Beta Max. With the, yeah, with the tape in it to play. And uh, after his death, she went looking for it, and it had disappeared from where she left it in the house. And this was during the time when they were, you know, stalking her and following her all the time, um, even after his death. Do you want to hear Chat GPT's uh, information on the knife? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Is it a spoon? Yeah, it was a spoon. It says that. Uh, Shall we play again? Says that it's sorry, but it couldn't find any information regarding the knife that it was used to end his life. Terry Iki was a police officer who was involved in the response to the OKC bombing and later died under controversial circumstances. The official ruling was that he died by suicide, but there have been alternative theories and claims around his death. However, the specific method or weapon. Used in this reported suicide is not widely discussed in available information. You're into something real bad. It's a weird answer. Yeah. That is strange. Here, let me read this to you. Uh, He says that in a robot voice, too. Here, let me read this to you. It's a chat GPT voice if I've ever heard one. I got it. I got it. It was good. Uh yeah I I don't know ChatGPT that's actually less at least ChatGPT admitted that it was under uh you know suspicious circum or controversial circumstances was I I believe yeah right. it's better See, than it's like your friend yeah it's your friend yes give I mean I am just so sick of Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> non sequitur there uh but this is still nowhere. I think this is still from the interview this is uh about Terry's investigations. What was he looking for? What was he doing? What's he doing over there? Terry had said that um, if it were not for the fact that he was pictured in many pictures worldwide, uh, running from the building, saving people, that they would have said he was not even there on the site. I think what initially got him started into it was, uh, yes, he did see some people that shouldn't have been there too quickly. Cause Terry- Sorry to keep pausing this, but that's kind of a... I don't know, a lot, so much of this hits me in like a creepy way uh, where it's like just that, that's kind of a chilling statement from him before he dies. It's like if there was not pictures in worldwide newspapers of me pulling people out of the rubble, they would have argued and claimed the police department, the FBI, the ATF, the government all <clears throat> to get, would have argued with a, when a straight face claimed that I was not even there on the day of the bomb. That, I mean, that's kind of like, I mean, it makes total sense, but just for him to say that is kind of crazy. Yeah. So, see, this guy was like, this guy was scared. It reminds me of uh, Capricorn 1, where uh, that reporter is is trying to uncover the fake Elliot Mars Gould. mission. Yeah, the, is he the reporter? Or is yeah. he the NASA worker? can't remember. Which NASA one. worker? The astronaut? <laughs> NASA worker? Well, you know... <laughs> I'm not talking about the astronauts. I'm talking about the guys. The, there's the reporter that like his brakes get cut and all that. Oh, that's funny. He's digging into it. 
Was was Elliot Gold one of the astronauts? Or was he the guy? No, no, Elliot Gould was the reporter who was like trying to uh, trying to break the story. Okay, yeah, yeah. And he's the one where his breaks get cut and all that. That's kind of what this reminds yeah. me of. It's like a guy that knows he's in way over his head. Uh, but yeah, let's continue. He was there within 30 seconds to a minute after the bomb blasted. Um, but initially they were trying to discredit people that were down there. And there was another officer that... Um, that had helped Terry pull some people out of the building, and they were trying to deny he was down there, which was the first reason why Terry had attempted to get a copy of his report, was to prove this other officer had been down there too. Um, he started saying that there were officers that were not at the site that were being uh, recognized as heroes. Um, just you know, There was all kinds of conflicting information that he was having a problem with. So I believe that he was looking into this. Um, uh, he just made too much of a deal of, uh, like, there was supposed to be an officer that went to go visit President Clinton in behalf of OCPD. He said adamantly, she wasn't even there. Um, you know, there was a lot of this going on. I don't think he told me the specific parts, but it was very obvious because he became very secretive during that time. Um, entire attitude changed. I, I have never witnessed this, and like I said, he'd been on the force for about seven years. So, you know, you get kind of used to the police mentality after a while, but this was nothing I'd ever, I'd ever encountered with him before. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I guess you guys give me your take. She seems believable and genuine to me. Yeah, why would she, she was keep laughing and that other guy was making jokes? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Everything about I think that was you know, I, I don't know. Those guys were like that was just the whole thing was weird. But I guess that could have been nervous laughter on her part, or maybe she just has a sense of humor about it. But I think it's been less than a year since he died when this interview took place. So I don't know. That is weird. It is odd. It's odd. But to your original your original uh, comment there, yeah, she she does seem like a credible character witness, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, especially considering she's the ex-wife of a of a police officer that supposedly killed himself. I don't what what reason. I just think you'd have to be a real sick person to try to capitalize on that for publicity. And what kind of publicity are you really getting from that? You know, what what motive is there? Um, no, she seems genuine. To well, me. especially since she's ex-wife, right? So they were having marital problems prior. So she was still defending him, yeah. Uh, even though point. he was he was going through some things, and she wanted to distance. She even had, um, oh, what do you call him when you want the person to stay away from you? Restrain, uh, restraining order. Yeah, like a restraining order. Yeah, she even had that for him to stay away because he would come up, you know, to the house with all kinds of crazy things he was saying and scaring her and scaring the child. He was. Pretty violent because he was really upset. I mean, imagine your whole world being torn apart and everything, you know, because he, he makes it to the, you know, he's sergeant, right? So make it to the place of sergeant. You, you're a good boy. You're obedient. You believe all the things. And then you see things that aren't true and they're telling you to be quiet. And you have a thing inside of you. And I understand this. I know people like this. There's a, a truth and justice inside of them that they just cannot be quiet. You know, truth and justice must prevail. I can't just be a good soldier and now not say anything. And I think sometimes that's a, a lot of the case of these things. They see how the sausage is made. They're over there killing Iraqis that don't have anything to do with the war. But you yeah. have to kill them because you got to secure the village, like Timothy McVeigh. You know, and that's that's the thing that snapped him. Why am I killing this guy who's just trying to 
take care of his family and just live a life like I'm trying to live a life. Yeah. But he's kind of brainwashed in a way. That kind of stuff. It snaps yeah, you. It's like he re- well, Tim McVeigh realized that like <clears throat> our cultures aren't that different, you know. Here we have yeah. baseball, apple pie, and big tits, and over there they have sand and they fuck sheep. Wait, no. Is that what yeah. Tim McVeigh said? <laughs> I don't think it was. Uh, they, he they did, have, but they have, but, they have cricket mean, just... and fig pie and <laughs> Kites. Sheep. They have kites. If I remember. I mean, it is kind of strange that during the Bush, the Clinton and especially Bush administration, and shit. I mean, the first half of the Obama administration, the Christian right was so anti Middle East, even though that's where Jesus was from. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, but yeah, it's happening again. They're spinning. They're spinning up Christian nationalism. You'll see it here. Well, that's why I'm voting for. It's actually within the next couple of days when the Pride stuff starts happening, you'll see Christian nationalism be. Be on the forefront again. They spin I didn't it up like Christian nationalism and... until I started listening to Nick Fuentes talk, and he's so funny that I'm kind of on board. <laughs> uh, but that's just for the walls. They're, sp- they're spinning us up. They're gonna they're gonna spin people up. They're gonna try to make us mad and polarize us even more. Yeah, like so, tops. Yeah, man. it's the same thing. Yeah, like tops, not bottoms, more, not power bottoms. Bottom, <laughs> Are you a power bottom? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I know what bottom and top is. I don't know what a power it's a, bottom is. Well, you, it's a bottom you who generates generate an enormous amount power. of power. Power, yeah. It's a lot of always sunny here. The heart's uh, so loud, it's so, on the Richter scale. I find her I find her very credible. I do too. Um, you know, because it's uh it's her ex husband. Uh she obviously cares about him and, and he was pretty distraught after helping uh you know, that one victim of the bombing and uh hurting his own back. And on the car ride home saying, what they're saying is not true. It's a cover-up. So he obviously saw something, but we don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't um, tell her because uh, he feared for him, his her, his ex-wife, and their kids' lives. Sure. He was definitely trying to keep her in the dark. And she yeah. said that was not like him at all. For After seven years on the force knowing him, he was never he was always open about what was going on. This was completely out of character for him. And I didn't mention it, uh, but it's in the interview. She says... He didn't tell me why. He wouldn't tell me why, but he he was still really hurt from the actual event, the day pulling people out of the bombing. And he said, like that week, multiple times, she's he she, he wouldn't tell her why, but he said, "We need to go back to the bombing. Let's bring the cameras. I need you to drive me there. I can't drive. We need to go at night so we can't be seen." And they had this mm-hmm. interaction with yeah. an FBI officer who basically interrogated, like intimidated him, and said, "You know, you're not supposed to be here." And uh, he backs down and they leave, but. Uh, yeah, multiple times that he would go out there with a camera trying to film the bomb site because he saw something that they were that was completely contrary to the narrative. I think that goes yeah. without saying. But this um this is uh his wife or his ex wife talking about this is still from the radio interview, they're talking about where his body was found and uh yeah, I'll just I'll just let this one speak for itself. This this gets creepier and creepier as it goes. Mm-hmm. Gives you the jibblies. The real the jibblies. Yeah, the jibblies. You, you, you got I don't know if you guys are older than me, so you should know about Homestar Runner, right? Strong bad emails. Yeah. Uh, do you know that? Do you know those came out based on the '96 Atlanta Olympics? Oh yeah, that's right. I did not know that. But uh, the Ghiblis—that's a—that's a strong bad reference. When he got the Ghiblis looking at the creepy painting in Strong Sad's closet, I, still... I just remember the what was the dragon Trogdor. I remember Trogdor. Trogdor. 
fire. Yeah, I have a T-shirt. I'm not wearing it today, but yesterday I was wearing my Trogdor T-shirt. Yes, there were some rope burns on the ankle. Okay, so he's he's trussed up and thrown over a fence and drug out in this field. Obviously, drug. We know that why because you found out later, uh, totally by accident, that there were some mud and grass in the wounds. Yes. Why don't you tell us about that and tell us how superficial these cut marks were? Oh, well, and um, actually, I'm I'm correct on something. I found out by accident twice. Oh. They came from two sources. Okay. And then there was an additional third one that had told me his body had been drugged from one location to another and about there being no blood at the scene, and that person was a law enforcement officer. Um, no autopsy was done to medical. This is, we're, t we're talking a police officer out of Oklahoma City that generates all this, all this attention, and, but he doesn't even go to the medical examiner's office. There's no medical examination done other than, than the sketches, and there's no autopsy. Right. Okay, so he goes to a funeral home instead where they stitch up these superficial wounds. Why'd they do that? Uh, you got me. <laughs> why was the OSBI not involved in this at all? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear. OSBI, why were they not involved in well, this? Well, I don't know that they weren't. Oh, I see, okay. So, um... Well, you haven't checked any of their records to find out why he went to... Well, my, my, OSBI, well, they... agent, uh, my OSBI contact said that they, they didn't even know about it until afterwards. Oh, really? Yeah, it was on federal property. That's the problem. So they were probably never even called in. In fact, by then they didn't want anybody there. Isn't uh, that odd that it would be on federal property? Yeah. And especially, oh, yes. and now, now, Tanya, Terry didn't like this area, did he? No, he did not. We lived in that area. Terry grew up in that area. Um, I, I remember him at one point in time saying that lots of uh, bad things went on over there. Um, it's right across from the prison. The federal government owns all that land. Um, he wouldn't have been caught. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I was getting ready to say he wouldn't be caught dead there, but I guess he was. Um but uh, this just would not have been some place he would have gone. It, he was actually superstitious about this place yes, ever since he, he was. was a child. Yes, he was. Yeah, um, so, so it would be it would be frightening for him to even be there. Yeah. So uh, if somebody knew that, that would be a place they would want to take him to interrogate him. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, if anybody that knew anything about him would know Terry had been very vocal about that place before. There's a lot in there. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, man. I, I mean, it's it's almost like that. If there was, if Terry's uh, hunch was right his whole life about how there was weird, shady stuff that would go on on that federal land since he was a child, uh, it's it's almost like um, that's kind of why I stay away from Oak Ridge around here. It's because <laughs> like the the weird stuff. Like if they're gonna like do a false flag or some kind of weird op, like Oklahoma City, uh, I think was. It's going to be on somewhere with federal land where they can manage the situation better, or at least nearby federal land. Yeah. Um, yep. But, yeah, the the fact that they they apparently drug – like, his car was not on federal land, but his body was. And it was a place that he hated, and he just slid his wrist and then crawls, climbs over a fence and crawls out into this field that's on federal property and then blows his head off there. It uh, doesn't add up. And it's also just kind of – I don't know. A lot of this – like, and maybe it's just because I'm a superstitious – Person, but a lot of this almost has like a dark spiritual energy to me. Very well, strange. It's, it's obviously evil, right? So you're looking for truth and justice in a thing that is covered up. So somewhere between what a government that, you know, obviously has an agenda is telling you and then all the other facts, there's the truth. The, li the truth lies in there. So... The fact that they hide anything or keep things in the dark is is very dark spiritually, yeah. and um, 
and then they write bills around it to protect themselves. So in the in the chat, I I put links to um, HR two seven zero three, which is an anti terrorism bill that came out in December of ninety five. HR two seven six eight, which was an effective death penalty and anti terrorism act of nineteen ninety five, and then in uh, there's a a Senate bill of the Anti-Terrorism Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996. So I believe these are things that were already in the works, and this was a thing to push it, much like the Patriot Act and 9-11. Yeah, I have... Uh, just, uh, control have a packages. Yeah, they, they they come up with a document, and then they create a problem, a yeah, problem and action solution. They come up, they come, it's like, hey, we have this thing we want to do, uh, but we need an excuse to do it. I have a clip on Corbett kind of, laying out exactly what you just talked about here. I'll, I'll skip ahead oh, to yeah. that uh, little tangent here. It provided new life to the... Om- talking about what uh, what the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, the long-term effects of it, and the short-term, immediate effects mm-hmm. of it. It provided new life to the Omnibus Counterterrorism Act of 1995, a controversial bill introduced by Joe Biden two months before the bombing that would have given police broad Joe new powers Biden. to use secret sources and secret evidence in terrorism proceedings. Come on, man. Look, look, think about what you think about and secret evidence in terrorism proceedings. Widely denounced as an affront to civil liberties, the bill was languishing in committee. But all that changed on April 19, 1995. The very day after the blast at the Murrah building, the New York Times wrote about the bill that after the Oklahoma City bombing, there were few surer legislative bets in Washington. The legislation morphed into the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996 and was passed the next year, with President Clinton specifically linking the bill to the bombing in his signing statement. Years later, Biden claimed that his original bill was the core of what eventually became the Patriot Act. So when you hear people say, well, Biden was on deck, that's why even though he's completely senile and pissing his pants and shitting his pants and falling up the stairs... He was his turn, and that's why. It's because yeah, that motherfucker turn. for 30-plus years has been... It, he didn't just sign off on the, on the bill that came in right after a local home city bombing and brag about it and say it was the prelude to the Patriot Act. He introduced the bill. I wrote the damn yeah. bill. Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it's from last week. Yeah, That's good. Callback. Callback. Um, yeah, I, I do want to finish this uh, Yiki stuff before we wrap because I know it. we're getting kind of close here. Um, this is this is this is just so creepy to me. The 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 godlike back when they had VHS tapes, the cameras recorded to VHS. I mean, I'm sure they had better technology. But, like, as far as the federal building and stuff, I'm assuming they didn't have, like, the Area 51-level technology. Um, that's why they had to physically come remove the cameras and everything. But still, even with this archaic technology, as far as VHS and tape cassettes and, you know, the satellite, they didn't... It, it was nothing like it is today, as far as surveillance goes. And still, they, the state was able to, if... Uh, uh, Tanya Yaki is being genuine here, and what she's saying is true. Let's just assume it is. The state had godlike powers, even back in 1995. What I was told about a year afterwards, when I had a private investigator look into it, is that Terry had had 
uh, film footage, pictures, which I, I do support that belief because Terry uh, carried a camcorder, cameras, you name it, in the back of his vehicle, most likely that he did take pictures and uh, did document what he saw and probably was following up on it. Um, there was lots of strange, our cars were coming up vandalized, the house was coming up vandalized. He and I both were coming up on four sets of flats, like several times. I mean, we had people put nails in our tires, breaking our back windows. Just strange, bizarre little things that I wouldn't have, you know, put in place with the bombing as any kind of retaliatory activity. But after his death, it continued, okay? Um, Terry kept saying during the year that we had been being monitored by the police department. I didn't understand why anybody would be monitoring him. And you have to bear in mind that, you know, what I know at this point, I did not know at the time it was occurring. Okay, now, um, obviously, both of your phones were tapped because you had some messages on your answering machine that shouldn't have been there? Right, that happened after the after his death. Because messages like what? Well, <laughs> this is really odd, but it would be... Uh, it would be recorded messages of me either having a phone conversation or me having a conversation with another individual in person. Someone would have taped it um, and would play it back to me. Somebody so was, in other words, if you had, if you were standing on the corner in front of Walmart talking to someone, uh, you might have a first-hand uh, tape of that played back onto your machine. Exactly. Yes, and I That's had that scary. happen. It is. It's it's an invasion uh, on you. Uh, you realize that you're not so you're not so safe. Now let's deconstruct that for a second, because that's that is freaky. And on one level, you could say, oh, there were people falling around, or they just have wiretaps in all these buildings and all these places already that they can implement if they know where you're going to be. How do you think that works? Hello? Sorry, I was on. I had my thing muted there because that's awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, well, it, it, uh, is that a psychological thing to just kind of point out that people are following and they can they can get to her at any time just to kind of avoid her from going on to radio shows exactly right. like the one she's on? Well, I'm I'm not. I, I get what the purpose of it is. I'm just thinking logistically. How is that done? Is it? Do they have way? Do they have everything already bugged? Like you said last time with phone lines where that you're basically have an open line if you're standing near any kind of phone, period, that if they know where you're at, they can they can trace that. Uh, oh, or they can or, just get in a bug bug her house too. Right. Or but she's she's she implied that it was out in public areas that were away from her house were getting played back to her as well. And then the or there's the possibility that they had people following her unbeknownst to her. Well, I think there's also that that's part of it too. I mean, you get somebody with a shotgun mic and they sit across the street and they're, you know, flowers by Irene van mm-hmm. um, recording. And then it. there's, and then there's another, I mean, this one's complete speculation on my part, but what if this, this uh, event was so planned far enough along, and this is kind of out there, <laughs> but it's the fun theory. What if this event was planned so far in advance that they had those. They had already determined the psychological profile of people like Terry who would, if they saw something, uh, speak out about it. And the friends of his family and uh, his wife, ex-wife's family were informants ahead of time. And the people she was talking to, thinking that they were her friends, were actually in on it as well. 
I know it's not plausible, but yeah, now, now you're way out there. <laughs> you've uh, you've crossed left field. You've climbed up over the fence. And you're up in the stand somewhere. I think it's because I've recently watched the Truman Show. That's probably what it is. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. It's not impossible though. It's not impossible that at least somebody she knew that she thought she could trust uh, was not even not even set may, maybe not even on payroll ahead of time threatened or or bribed into being an informant after the fact it's not impossible but yeah but i'm not sure logistically how you'd pull that off though right yeah uh but i mean they do it with news people all the time apparently they did they uh like oh think of all the anchors that reported multiple bombs in the building that just slipped on a dime they had to get a memo from somebody not sure those people are actually as smart as we think, and all it takes is one producer to mention something. And well, yeah, good. I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah, you give them too much credit for sure. Yeah, takes a takes a tender man to keep fucking that chicken. Chicken, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, Short circuit. All right, I have um, good reference. I have one more clip from uh, this interview, and it's what. Uh, uh, I keep forgetting her name. Not uh, Steve. <laughs> Steve Yiki. Uh, Janet. No, it's it starts with a T too. That's why I keep Terry. getting confused. Terry. No, not not Terry. No, her name. <laughs> Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, I guess it does matter. I'm, I'm playing this many clips of this woman. I should know what her name is. Tanya. Not yeah. Tanya Yiki. So Tanya. This is the last clip from that. Uh, uh, that. Um, interview on the radio and this is her talking about her interaction with the police chief when she was first suggesting very shortly after the fact that like hey what's going on with terry's death this doesn't make any sense and it was when she still was trusting of the police department and she figured hey i mean these guys worked with for seven years with uh terry and you know you'd think they would be sympathetic to me and my kids they would be you know they would be straightforward with me uh, and that that was not the case. And this is her talking about her interaction with uh, Chief Gonzalez. And and to my point earlier about them, how how was the or to, I guess to address your point, Cretchen, how would the logistics work of how easy would it be to flip somebody like that with a bribe or threat? Somebody that was friends with uh, the family of Terry, for example. It's apparently not that hard because the entire police department, outside of a few people that were leaking things to Tanya about Terry's death, the entire police department completely was against her and helping cover up the whole thing. And these are people that have huh. worked with Terry for years. So were they on payroll ahead of time? Was that police department compromised ahead of time with the feds or did the police department get bribed or did the police department get threatened? Cause it has to be one of the three. If the police department was willing to go along with this entire charade. Um, I want to back up to the fact that I had gone to go visit with Chief Samuel Gonzalez uh, about 24 hours after uh, I was aware that he was dead. Um, And Chief Gonzalez and me, we didn't quite see eye to eye (laughs) on the nature of his death. And uh, I was was very put off by the fact that Gonzalez never expressed any uh, concern that Terry was deceased now. Um, I told him that I, I was concerned about why they would lie to me about 
the wrist splitting and the upper arms being split and the throat being cut. That information was totally not given to me. And I had to call back because I got a call from a police dispatcher who I won't identify that tipped me off that his body was badly beaten and there were these additional wounds rather than just a gunshot wound. Gonzalez denied knowledge of any of those cuts, especially the neck cut. And I actually think he was just surprised that I, I knew it already. Um, and the conversation got a little bit menacing and intimidating uh, right at the end when I told him that it was very obvious that his opinion why Terry was dead and my opinion differed. Mind you, I didn't even know why at the time, but I just knew that we were not going to agree on a, on a suicide. But from the very beginning, Gonzalez uh, acted as, the, he did not act as though he was uh, remorseful or sorry to, no. uh, to talk to you and say, oh, Tanya, we're sorry, I don't know what to say, I'm sorry that this happened, you okay. know, none of that. Nothing. That rhetoric was not even there. No, it did yeah. not even exist. I would have, That's odd. Even if I had contradicted him, I would. Have, I was surprised that he did not say, I'm very sorry you feel that way, or, you know, Terry was a good officer, you know, he'll be sorely missed. None of that. Absolutely not. He wanted me to believe that it was marital problems that he was distraught over, and he denied that Terry was having any problems at work. Sense. Flat out denied, which I knew was, was untrue, and I let him know that I knew that was untrue. Um... And as I got up to leave, in fact, the last question he asked me when I made that statement that we differed on our opinions, he said, well, why do you think Terry's dead? Well, he wants to find out what you think or not. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And there was such a degree of menace in his tone, I got up, I left his office. I thanked him for his time, and I left. From that point on, I began being followed by marked, unmarked cars, very blatant intimidation. That's when the phone, uh, the, the tapping of the phone started, the uh, tapings that they would play back to me. All this started immediately after I left Gonzalez's office. So there you go. I mean, it seems like they were and able it to flip. Up man to make a tender chicken. <laughs> uh, it seems like they they flipped most of the police department. Even the people that were leaking Tanya this information about Terry's death were doing it uh, like you know under you know very secretively <clears throat> and scared. They were yeah. a lot of them were scared. It seems like, and a lot of them were completely flipped, either paid off or, or I mean, or were agents or operatives before the bombing itself. And these are people that knew Terry for the better part of a decade Yep, on the force. So it's, I mean, that's kind of, it seems like they had a pretty, they had their fingers in that pie pretty good, whether it was ahead of time or after the fact, they were able to flip that whole police force to cover up uh, his death and actively inform them. As far as the police chief goes, Gonzalez actively apparently informed the, whoever was following them and, and antagonizing them that she was, you know, knew a little too much. You know, I get in arguments like this with John, uh, my co-host every now and then about, um, compartmentalizing this kind of information. Cause he's always like, listen, if this was a big cover up, everyone would know and people would talk about it. And I said, well, that's not necessarily true. Cause if you listen to any kind of interview with ex KGB or CIA people, they compartment, compartmentalize information really, really well to where only a certain amount of people know and they won't risk their lives to tell it. So if you have a whistleblower and they're labeled as crazy, you might want to listen to it. So it's not common knowledge and it's not everyone would know and it's not everyone would find out. It's it's pretty obvious. They they would uh, definitely um they would definitely tell people uh mm -hmm. you know that uh you know you shouldn't say anything or 
I think I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't say anything even if they knew, and there'd be the few that would risk their lives because they know it'd be risking their lives. And I don't. I think a lot of people are cowards. They wouldn't risk their lives to tell the truth. They would just go on living the lie. Yeah, I'm way too much of a smartass to put up with that shit. Like the only way they could get, <laughs> like, if I was in that kind of a scenario, like I've always been like very rebellious to authority just since a little kid. But now that I have a kid, the only way they could get me to shut the fuck up is if my kid uh-huh. was, his life was on the line. Then I'd I'd step in line pretty quick, probably, just to be honest about it. Well, and to your, to your question about logistics. Yeah. For the entire police department to kind of suddenly flip on a dime, I mean, wouldn't it be just that easy to be like, here's a picture of your kid sleeping? Yeah. Yeah. Right, like in the... Yeah, you might be quiet real quick. Like the guy, the what was the guy that went on Ellen? That went to Mexico. Oh, the security think, guard. Yeah, Jesus. Campos. Oh yeah, those guys. <laughs> that's the kind of. Yeah. I think that's what they did to him too. Yeah, Shilly McShillington. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's. I yeah, you're right. I think I think you're right. I think that's like a surefire way um, to really get somebody to step in line is when they it's made clear to them that their wife or kids or whoever will be uh, on the chopping block. Because I don't like I don't know I've like I'm not trying to sound like arrogant or anything, but it probably come off this way. But like I'm not worried. Like I wouldn't be worried because I've been in life or death situations. Uh, usually just because of something stupid I was doing, like not really because anyone was trying to kill me. <laughs> but I've not uh, like it's death doesn't scare me. But when it's like somebody would be threatened, like you know somebody close to me, especially my kid, that'd be a whole different ballgame. Yeah. I don't know how I'd react yeah. to that. So yeah, in that sense, I could see how they could get like people that have known Terry for years and loved the guy, uh, his coworkers and his, and even his family to, to turn on him. Uh, but yeah, but yeah. sad. It doesn't take much. I mean, just a small amount of leverage. You love people. So they'll use that against you for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's all I got, uh, hey. on, on Terry Yeeke, except for the, uh, article I put in the show notes last time from CNN, which I still find just absolutely fascinating that CNN did a, God, how many pages is this? It's like a really long, lengthy piece. The on one it. that came out like in March. I don't know. Yeah, where. yeah, yeah. It's very strange. Very strange that they would they would have this long, uh, long article about like you know drawing drawing questions to how he died, the suspicion of his death, and uh, they they have a lot of quotes from uh, Tanya, the lady that was on that interview, his ex wife. So. Yeah, I don't know if we have time really, because uh, I mean we only got five or ten minutes left here. But uh, I'd like I'll put that I'll, I'll put that in the chat here again. It was in the show notes of the last episode because that's just um I I've read the whole thing twice now and I still just can't find an angle as to why they would bring that up now in twenty twenty three. Yeah, especially because yeah, it wasn't was weird, on the anniversary. It's it just kind of a random date too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very strange. Well, have you ever looked at the history of April? And and tragedies that happen in April. <clears throat> Some even say it's like the the month that you know the the sacrificial, you know, like child sacrifice and stuff like that. Like in April, April fifteenth, which is also the Boston bombing, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing. Yeah, April fifteenth was also when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. April eighteenth is when the San Francisco earthquake happened. Uh, Titanic sunk in April 15th. 
1912. Wow. Okay. I didn't know about this. I know all these all these like weird things like start piling up. April 27th, people were killed in San Antonio when someone opened fire. Hezbollah terrorist attack on April 18th. Uh, Chernobyl, April 26th. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting when you start thinking about like all the stuff that happens in April. So we know April 19th is also Waco as well. Uh, April 29th, a tornado through Bangladesh kills 130,000 people. Uh, so April April's not the month to be, you know, to thinking that you're going to live a long time. April 18th, Ruby Ridge. Yeah. All those, you know. It's, now, I, I did a quick Google. It's odd coincidences. Uh, just a quick, the first thing that pops up uh, when I looked up the occult significance of April. Uh, mm-hmm. April marks the first day of All Fool's Day, so mm-hmm. precisely 13 weeks from New Year's Day. An occult significance attached to the number 13 and the month of April marks the sign of rebellion. April is the time to reset our goals for the year and fine-tune them and reestablish our motivation towards these said goals. I mean, that's mm. just some kind of horoscope bullshit, but it is it, it is interesting sure. that the 13 weeks from <laughs> the 13 is... Yeah. Uh, significant. Well, what was, what was April 20th? Columbine. 420. Oh, Hitler's birthday. April 16th. Oh. Virginia Tech. No, it's close. The big shooting in Vir- Virginia Tech. Yeah, I almost had it. It goes on and on, man. If you if you look up all the things that happened in April, Deepwater Horizon. Remember Deepwater Horizon? April 17th. Why are these all movies that star Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe Mark Wahlberg's the... Ted, uh, too. Is he going, uh, is he, is he going around like doing all this stuff? Movie where he's friends with the teddy bear. Yeah, Cretchen, uh, what is this gif you put in the Discord of a guy like fishing in his pocket, like playing with his? You meter? you made some comment about playing pool, and I said pocket pool. <laughs> okay, that was a while. Okay. That was like an hour and a half. Yeah, ago. I didn't look at the timestamp on that. I was just looking at that. Like, oh, are you on Discord too? How well, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the OBDM Discord just because that's where Cretchen is at. But I oh, uh, sure in the, for the context of this show. But I just like I was looking at this for a minute there while you were talking while we were talking about April and I'm looking at this guy fiddling with his junk in his pants on a loop. I'm like, what is? It? <laughs> what is it? Um, but okay, I know we got to wrap here soon, so let me get through uh, just the last clips I have on the 60 Minutes interview. This is Timothy McVeigh on 60 Minutes, just to kind of bring us full circle back to the start here. Everyone in America saw the pictures on television, heard the news on the radio. What was your reaction when you saw those pictures? I think like everyone else, I thought it was it was a tragic event. Um, and that's all I really want to see. And the children? I thought it was it was terrible that there were children in the building. A jury convicted you of killing 168 people. The American public, by and large, generally believes that you are the Oklahoma City bomber. Is there anything that you can say or is there anything you want to say about what happened there? Is there anything you would say to the families, for example? There are things 
that I want to say. Uh, the timing is not right. What do you mean? I, at, at the time, uh, right now, uh, where I'm at in my appeals, where I'm at in my life, um, there, are, there are some issues that I just don't feel that it's the right time to discuss in depth. That's a little strange, right? Yeah, not the timing's not right. It seems like, like I said in the last show, it it seems like he remained, or at least believed that he remained, a man on a mission, employed by some shadow organization, or at least, or not, sh- I guess shadow organization is a bad term, but you know, like a like a Black Reich. Like he was either he believed he was working for some kind of ca- contractor company or working for the federal government or military in some capacity until the day he was supposedly died. Um, it, it just, it's very strange that he seems confident that everything is almost going according to plan. And he's like, I wish I could say more about it, but I'm really can't at this time. I don't know. What are you guys thoughts on that? Well, he's, he's talking as if he mentioned his appeal. He's talking as if he doesn't want to um, have anything held against him, you know, because they could, they could come back and during appeal and say, well, on this, on this TV interview, you said this, and they could they could use that against him. So he was, I think, he was trying to be. I don't think he was trying to be mysterious as much as he was trying to avoid anything that could be uh, that could affect his his um, his upcoming appeals. Would his, his proclamation of innocence affect his appeal? If he just Honestly, said I if, didn't do this, it, if he was smart, he would have never granted the interview. Um, yeah, from a yeah. from a legal standpoint, or he knew they were going to get him out of there and fake his death, and you know, Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> extraction him, and he was he didn't give a shit. Huh. Well, the, if if that was the case, you think he'd be very open about stuff. Well, I mean, I think if he was a little too open about it, they might uh, change the plans on him and actually kill him. I don't know. <laughs> They might, those cameras might not be working when he's in the uh, right. suicide watch and all the guards go yeah. to sleep. Like like, like we, uh, we touched on it briefly last time, but Corbett had a great breakdown of the witnesses saying they still saw him breathing. Uh, his eyes were open when they wheeled him away and no one saw any uh, IV or anything go into his arm that would have done the injection. He was covered head to toe and clothes. So there's questions even if it was an actual execution. Um, but yeah. You know that raises a good point. Just as a as a as an aside here, why such weird, boring methods of 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 uh, of death penalty? I mean, why not like go fight these two tigers? Bring back the guillotines. We need like coliseum fights and stuff. Uh, yeah. Guillot- yeah, coliseum fight. Yeah, but guillotines not even even that's not as good. We need rehabilitation from idiocracy. Luke Wilson's got like the dildo <laughs> on his car. Rehabilitation with Nacho Supreme, or no, what's his name? Beef Supreme. Like the whole choir is just people with electric guitars. I'm, I'd be totally down for that. Um, yeah, and they, it was strange too. Um, I had it in the opening clip. George Bush, the day that McVeigh is, uh, is in, lethally injected. George Bush does this brief press conference. Doesn't even sign off, say goodbye, thank you, or take any questions. Mid-sentence, or not mid-sentence, but, you know, almost practically mid-thought, he just he just closes his book, that he's, or his, uh, you know, notes that he's reading up and walks right off, right off the, uh, 
off the stage. Yeah, it doesn't take questions or anything. Just yeah. walks out. It's a very. Oh, and, and it, he also Biden. says he doesn't even say thank you or anything. He, he Bush just yeah. immediately walks off, and it was it was like a two minute. He came out for two minutes, said his piece, and walked right away. And it was almost I don't know what it was that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, other than maybe just I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I think if you have to watch that, um, just to see how kind of odd it was, really. It was very odd. But yeah. But yeah, I know we got to wrap up, so uh, I'm sure we'll do it. Yep, I got to go at some point. But yeah, thank you. Uh, Let's do it. Thank you, Wes. Sir Wes of Beer, Bourbon, and Balderdash. We linked in the show notes. Love uh, you. Dude, love, love you. you. Uh, thanks, thanks again for uh, pitching the Oklahoma. It's been, it's been, it was a good idea. It's a fun oh, topic, yeah. and I can't believe when you brought it up. I was like, I haven't even covered that. So it's, uh, thanks for being a part of the magic. Is, uh, is, is uh, the magic? <laughs> and uh, Christian, do, do, thanks do, do, again do. For, for coming by. You're the man. Yay, Crutched. Yay. God, I just I just call it a random clean feed um, sessions and see who's here. <laughs> uh, roll your dice, you move your mice. Nobody gets hurt. But yeah, uh, so Beard and Balderdash, uh, you're still working out the live stream, I guess, but uh, you you record those on Thursdays. Yeah, I need help. I, I'm I, dumb. Uh, I'll help I'm you best stupid. I can. I'll, I'll put you in contact with people smarter than me that help me get mine working. I'm uh, really dumb. I wish I was smarter. Yeah, I I had a problem with the security thing, just like you did. I just don't remember how they helped me. Yes, um, stupid. I but hate it. Uh, yeah, it's it should be an easy fix. I'll put you in contact with Metis or something. Maybe we can get the three of us can get on a call and figure it out. And uh, yeah, thanks Let's Pfeiffer do- and uh, and Chad, the bot in the chat, and whoever else has been in here. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no Chad's not a real person. I've been arguing no with him all evening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's Chad. Fool. And uh, yeah, so uh, beer, bourbon, and balderdash. Obviously, link to the show notes and uh, credit. You got OBDM again. Once again, tomorrow, 7 p.m., I believe. Uh, you took last Saturday. Yeah, off, so uh, OBDM, a- OBDMpod.com or um, love it. Uh, uh, factcheckgov.com if you want to make sure you fact check things. Um, yeah, check. We're, we're live uh, Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern, Saturdays at noon Eastern with a bunch of nonsense, conspiracy, paranormal goofball news uh sometimes some political rants uh all sorts of stuff it's fun. very good good show oh god they're so evil just please god free us from them that too you want to yell out those uh urls anything sir bliss urls you understand beer bourbon and ball com. that's nice. my url all right thanks yeah, I, uh thank you gentlemen and uh, I'm going to go play some pool with Billy Bones. Some All right. Pool. Pocket pool. Hence the gift. That's what it was for. <laughs> See? I am Arnold Schwarzenegger. <sighs> it took an hour and seven minutes, but you came right back around to it. Nice. <laughs> That's <was> good. <laughs> All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thanks, Chris. You. Night. Bye. In the days before the bombing, Tim McVeigh was seen making preparations with other suspects, not Terry Nichols or Michael Fortier, but others unknown, whom the authorities seemed uninterested in finding. Yeah, the man that I saw on the phone that day, that was on actually on the phone, was McVeigh. I am 100% sure of that. He had a partner with him that had shoulder-length hair uh, that was leaned up against the wall facing him. Then at one point, he turned to the guy to his right, who was leaning against the wall, shoulder-length hair, and said, he told us to f- stay here. The trial lasted three weeks. In contrast, 
the O.J. Simpson trial in 1995, it lasted nine months. The jury deliberated for less than 24 hours and sentenced Tim McVeigh to death. McVeigh waived all his appeals and was fast-tracked to be the first federal prisoner executed in decades. Just before his execution date, the FBI announced that they had withheld thousands of pages of documents that could have influenced his trial, which led to a month-long stay of execution. I mean, they weren't able to get thousands, at least thousands, probably a lot more than that, of documents from, you know, the FBI and the DOJ. They just wouldn't turn them over. On June 11, 2001, Tim McVeigh was put to death by lethal injection at the federal death row in Terre Haute, Indiana. He left no message and was quickly cremated without an autopsy being performed on his body, contrary to the standard procedure for executed prisoners. Terry Nichols was tried and found guilty in a separate trial and received a life sentence without the possibility of parole. In 2004, Terry Nichols was then tried in Oklahoma on state murder charges in the prosecutor's hope of imposing a death sentence. Nichols was found guilty, but a jury once again refused to execute him. Those jurors did the best job they could with the case that was presented to them. I think what their statement says is they knew there was something wrong and somebody had some involvement here. They also, as they have said themselves, that there were lies, there were mistruths, there were uh, bungling, there was arrogance, there was uh, things that were not pursued like the other John Doe's, and so they felt like there was a reasonable doubt. Michael Fortier became a witness for the federal prosecutors, received a 10-year sentence, and was released in 2006 directly into the Witness Protection Program. Justice, the government announced, had been served. <laughs> oh, God. Well, dummies, you just wasted another amount of your non-precious time listening to abs in a six-pack. When are you going to stop? You know, there's very few of you. If, you. if this is like a hands-on-a-hard-body thing of trying to figure out who will be the last person actually with listening to this show, it's a lose-lose proposition. By the way, he asked me to do this. The head moron who makes the show. <laughs> ha! The secret is, I think he's the biggest moron of all. It would indicate that you're a bigger moron for listening to his show. However, I think somehow that's not true. He actually is a bigger moron than the rest of you. Anyway, go outside. Read a book. Ride a bike. Take a walk. Go walk a dog. Go kiss somebody. Whatever there is, I can think of one million things to do better than listen to this dumb, crummy show. Abs in a six-pack. Well, I bet for most of you, you're half right. <laughs> this is Master Shake. Do something with your lives. Alternative medicine is shaking the money tree, and conventional medicine is not happy. But there's lots more. Get your own copy of the tape proceedings. Just send $3 to tape. AHTA 5419 Western Avenue, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73109. It's your opportunity to hear how important medical freedom initiatives are to each and every one of us. Order your tape today. Statistics prove that there is no such thing as a good or a bad memory, just a trained or an untrained memory. You virtually remember everything that you see, hear, read, or even think about. The problem, though, is recalling that information. This is Kevin Trudeau, founder of the American Memory Institute, the world's largest memory training school. You see, everyone has a perfect photographic memory. 
It's just waiting to be released. Imagine having the memory power to be able to meet 50 people and remember all their names. A powerful memory in business means money. Program. Yes, ma'am. Where are you calling from? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. Uh, yes, indeed, you will. And if you'll listen, I'll tell you how to do it, all right? Okay. I just wondered if you would. All Thank right. All right. Yeah, I'd be glad to do it. Uh, sure, if you want to tape of this program, the first two hours we spent on a very careful uh, chronicling of UFO history, John's... John, have you heard any stories about angelic appearances uh, with reference to the big explosion in Oklahoma City? Well, you know what? Um, I, heard, <laughs> I, I caught just a passing reference uh, in, in just a, a garden variety news report. You know, there was so, so much mega information coming out of there. Somebody, was, uh, somebody had mentioned an... All these great stories about people that have been saved by angels. Oh, yeah. I know it's coming. Yeah, sure you do. Uh, but there are so many children in Oklahoma City... Children across the nation, innocents, wonderful people, killed, no intervention. They're just killed. Yeah, just like the uh, plane crash we just talked about a while ago. I mean, uh, Lindsey Wagner walked away from the plane, but where were the angels of the other? Yes, ma'am. Where are you calling from? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. Uh, yes, indeed, you will. And if you'll listen, I'll tell you how to do it, all right? Okay, I just wondered if you would. All Thank right, so all right. Yeah, I'd be glad to do it. Uh, sure, if you want to tape of this program... The first two hours we spent on a very careful uh, chronicling of UFO history. John's... Well, thank you very much, Professor. All right, thank you very much for the call. And here is a faxed-in question from Oklahoma City. Art, please ask your guest how he equates this in respect to the other Gospels, which also say that Jesus was God's Son, and in respect to other writers of the time that are not in the Bible, such as Flavius Josephus, this is a pretty important question. Might help a lot of people decide whether they believe him or not. Cameron in Oklahoma City. Well, it's the crux of the question seems to evolve about the phrase "God's Son," and uh, you could understand how the people at that time, if he were to tell them he was the son of Gabriel, a celestial angel. Gordon. I'm going to bring you for forward now to a couple of contemporary events that demand. Uh, your attention. One is the horrible bombing in Oklahoma City. I mean, it was a major, catastrophic, horrible event that now, because it apparently was done internally by people in this country, is beginning to socially tear at, at uh, a very important fabric. And socially, there seems to be more division, more hatred, more of all of this than I've ever seen in my life. I worry, Gordon, oh, uh, well, to prove what you just said. The bombing in Oklahoma City, there's a, there's a group of people out there right now, Gordon, that are saying the government blew up its own building, its own people. They believe that. Uh, I did not specifically see the Oklahoma in, in a vision. We, we did, but it was interesting that several weeks before, I, I did have a vision that Cynthia and I talked about, and, and, and I did. I mean, you, you've made an incredible statement that by the end of the year, their presence will be known, and a lot of people will think it is the government as right. they have thought it's the government in Oklahoma City. Right. That's remarkable. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Gordon Michael Scallion. Where are you calling from, please? Uh, 50 miles north of New Madrid, Missouri. All right. My blood pressure has been high. We've been following a, store, a story um, in Oklahoma City very closely. 
which was broken by Channel 4, KFOR Television in Oklahoma City. And my assumption must be this morning that some of you don't know what we're talking about. And so I'm briefly going to take you through the chronology. Who saw McVeigh and John Doe number 2 several days before the attack. One witness claims the pair drank beer at her bar in northwest Oklahoma City. She says John Doe number 2 spoke with an Iranian-Iraqi accent. Uh, they spoke an Arab language of some sort to each other. Further research by Channel 4 identified John Doe number 2 through surveillance photos obtained by local businesses. I got another fact saying essentially the same thing. Then we began trying to um, do what you do, uh, verify the story. Through our program, uh, excuse me, news director at um, um, WKY, our affiliate WKY in Oklahoma City, we confirmed the essential details of the story, that it was essentially as we had heard that it was reported. Then began a long questioning of why in God's name this story was not picked up by the parent network, uh, by other networks and news outlets around the country, and for two days we've been wallowing in that uh, great mystery. It might. It still might. I don't know. Then uh, tonight comes a fax, the following. According to KFOR Channel 4 TV in Oklahoma City, they have identified uh, John, uh, excuse me, I'm reading an, uh, another copy of one of the original faxes I got. This is the one that just came in. It's entitled, More on John Doe, Number 2. As a result of Wednesday's uh, broadcast, a new witness has now come forward to KFOR. You turned over. Well, let me give you a little bit of history. First of all, once the bombing here, it's, it's our backyard. I live in Oklahoma City, as, as do many, many other people. Um, there were people... Uh, some credible, some not credible, that were going to various news stations. We were contacted by some witnesses that had been contacted already and questioned by the FBI. Okay. They gave the FBI their information. It went at that. Oh, yeah, I think it was down in Texas somewhere. They they got them or something. The only one I do recall of Middle Eastern is here in Oklahoma City, the okay. South Oklahoma City of a hotel. A gentleman from Texas was questioned, detained, then released by the FBI. There. Around here, it was it was kind of a went crazy for a little bit because anybody that had dark skin and drove a brown could have been a little car was getting pulled over and questioned. Uh, I hear you. Public sure. hysteria. Worked with and continues to work with Jana Davis, the reporter who broke this incredible story from Oklahoma City. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks tonight. An encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from June 9th, 1995. Subcontract employee of Channel 4 Television, KFOR, Oklahoma City. In other words, he's not really their employee, but is a private investigator who's been working on this case since within a few days of the explosion. 
We're getting the story now. Mike, are you there? Yes, sir, I'm here. Good, all right. Um, now, back to it. Um, so the investigation's ongoing. Uh, this man is still in, to the best of your knowledge, and you should know, Oklahoma City. As of 5.30 this evening, yes, sir, he was. Just hours ago. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. How many witnesses altogether, Mike, have identified this man the way you suggest he's been identified, uh, you know, in large lineups? A lot of egg on a lot of faces, and the story took a whole new turn. Now, what you're reporting seems to point right back again to the possibility, at least, of foreign involvement. Could that account for the hesitation and so forth the FBI seems to be displaying now? In my opinion, I'd say, I, my opinion is without a doubt. I mean, uh, the gentleman that was arrested in, in London is an Oklahoma City native, and uh, he was apologized. You know, the president apologized to him. So. Uh, he's of Middle Eastern descent, so I, I would say they, they would, you know, my opinion, they're they're going forward cautiously, and, and I don't blame them for that. Well, yeah, I understand the political pressure. Now, what do you think? And this is just a guess, I'm sure, on your part, Mike, or maybe you know. Um, KFOR is a reputable mainstream Channel 4 NBC news affiliate there in the city where the bombing took place. Yes, sir. This is a big story. Uh, Mike, there's no question about it, and Channel 4 ran it, and then nobody else, nobody else uh, picked it up, with the exception of this program early on, with questions, and and to this moment, with some few exceptions, on the fringe, follow me. I follow you. I, 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 the, the, you know, I, all I can say from my experience in this is, it, it takes, it, it takes a lot of nerve, it, it takes, uh, both from an individual all the way up to a news channel, a news station. You know, KFOR TV in Oklahoma City, the NBC affiliate, just swept number one across the board in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma City market. So they're number one without a question and, and with definite, you know, definition in their number one standing. So it took a lot of nerve and it, and the detail that had to go into this, the second sourcing, it is, it's remarkable. And, and the majority of the witnesses we have, both you know, on camera and the ones that just are too scared to go even with their their voices and face, you know, in disguise, have a number of them have been have been interviewed by the FBI. But you have to remember, most of the interviews came within <clears throat> hours or within a day or so of the bombing. The first videotape I took of this John Doe number two lookalike wasn't until April 24th, which is five days after the bombing. So at that time. You know, they wouldn't have the stills and the videos we provided to, to produce in a photo lineup. Does your John Doe number two suspect know that he's under surveillance? I have no idea. All right. Well, if you have any communicating to do, you've got about eight minutes to do it, and we'll be directly back to you. All right, Mike? Wonderful. See you. Let's talk to you then. All right. A private investigator, uh, investigator contract employee of uh, Camp OR TV Channel 4 Oklahoma City. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from June 9, 1995. Worldwide humiliation.
bell somewhere in time. Tonight's pro- in for the record uh, is Mike. That's not his real name. He's a private investigator, a subcontractor, employee of Channel 4 Television, KFOR, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And he's here telling us about the story that he's been working on, he says, with Jaina, who is the reporter who broke all this in Oklahoma City. It's a big story. And in a lot of ways, we're just getting started. I'm going to try and take care of the command job. And uh, and I, I'm still hearing that, really. Um, I've heard no renewal of interest uh, other than there through you in Oklahoma City regarding the fact that John Doe number 2 may even exist. Uh, that's correct. We, I, I'm not sure if he does. I, all we have to go by is, is the APBs they've put out, the information they've put out. There was the... the the initial uh, comp- composite drawing of the John Doe number two, then it was the set. We're going to follow this to the end. So we want closure. We really want closure. We're doing it for the closure. We 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 we've. Uh... Mike, uh, I know you can't speak uh, officially for them, but would you say to this point, Channel Four uh, in Oklahoma City is standing by the details of their story as as they have presented your investigation. They're standing by it. Absolutely, one hundred percent. All right, let's take some more calls. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mike. Good. All right, good. Let's do that. Okay, as far as the statement of being a colonel, that was not made. It, the, what we have been able to confirm here in Oklahoma City through our various information, and it, it has been sourced at more than one, more, you know, more than one individual. We sourced this through people in the knowledge. This was not sourced through eyewitnesses. This was sourced from people that would be in the know. Their latest report was they're looking for three to five individuals, is what they last reported here in Oklahoma City. And, you know, one of them being this John Doe number two, which, you know, that's that's the only track we're going on. Mm-hmm. Art, we're not going anywhere else. We're All right, so the, the audience then would be well advised to confine their questions to you, to your investigation of who you'd believe, uh, believe to be John Doe number two. That arrived here regarding a story on um, KFOR News Channel 4 in Oklahoma City. And um, in, I'm going to now have to, and I excuse the, early, the earlier audience will have to excuse me, as there are so many affiliates now joining that we've got to retrench just a little bit. I'll try and do. One witness claims that the pair, pair drank beer at her bar in northwest Oklahoma City. She says John Doe number two spoke with an Iranian or Iraqi accent. Actually, that's been correct a little by my guest. Uh, that uh, that uh, he had some sort of accent or was difficult to understand. And that they spoke an Arabic language. This also may not be so. Further, re- who is a private investigator, a subcontract employee of Channel 4 Television, KFOR, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, he says. And... Um, he has been uh, giving us as many details of the investigation as he's been able to. And what I'm going to ask Mike to do now, or in a moment rather, is to kind of retrench and tell us again exactly what it is his investigation began. The news station that's doing this, you know, the ratings, Nielsen ratings just came in. They swept it in Oklahoma City. They're number one in every category at every time. So... You're, you're dealing with the highest credibility as far as media in town, and they have that reputation. They 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 are not going to put something that is not you know dead solid. That is, is they... east of the Rockies. You're on the air with Mike. Hello. Yes, this is Kevin from Oklahoma City. Kevin from Oklahoma City. Yes, Kevin, speak up good and loud. The, the fellow with the phone number. <laughs> yes. 
uh, I was wanting to ask him, could he, uh, you know, elaborate on the uh, report I heard here about the second Middle Eastern man who was talking to McVeigh and John Doe number two and was seen by a lot of a uh, couple of these different witnesses talk in anything as far as that goes all right stay right where you are 30 more minutes and we'll be done mike a pi on the job in oklahoma city back in a moment you're listening to art bell somewhere in time on premier radio networks tonight an encore presentation of coast to coast am from june 9th 1995 all right uh, back now to Oklahoma City, and uh, Mike, are you there? I'm here. Well, first of all, you're a real trooper, you know, for uh, staying up this way with us. Uh, this really, really needed to get out, Mike, and I guess that's one of the reasons you're here. We all want the truth. Correct, correct. And right now, uh, the truth, as your investigation has shown, is leading in a very, very different direction. Than uh, like I, I'm saying, this team are traveling or... Another, another, in other words, was he out of um, Oklahoma City? Uh, you're talking about the day that has just passed, last 24 yes. hours. Yes, just this yesterday. Any comment? Uh, I can tell you, I know as of early in morning, um, as of yesterday early morning till about oh, 5.30 that I am personally vigilant. Well, I, I would imagine that anybody fitting the description of somebody who might have done the bombing in Oklahoma City has been under damn careful scrutiny, uh, that would probably apply to anybody who generally fit the description, uh, and certainly did apply, especially in the early days after the bombing. If you heard him describe it, I mean, they were they were stopping cars with people who even generally. Something very important to share with you. I heard the lady also from Oklahoma City. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, remember I told you about this gentleman out here, the former FBI agent, Mr. Gunderson? Yeah. Oh, yes, uh-huh. All right, now this is very important. In that same article, Art, of May the 15th in the spotlight, Yes. There's a bulletin, and here's a here's a quote from Mr. Gunderson, which he got from a no, please. Well, it's okay. from a federal criminal investigator who is working on the bombing of Oklahoma City. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And well. And this gentleman stated that he stated that the bombing was enhanced reflection wave detonation with a duplex charge. All right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Enhanced reflection detonation. That, that's right. That means that it was in in effect a shaped charge. And um, Art, thanks for wasting the entire night on a government attempt to switch the focus as to the culpability from the Oklahoma City bombing away from the government to a collection of patsies. You'll probably censor this one just like you did my packs of last night. If so, maybe we should call you G-Man. Government. I sure do. You probably won't have an answer. And <laughs> you have all these great stories about people that have been saved by angels. Oh, yeah. I know it's coming. Yeah, sure you do. Uh, but there are so many children in Oklahoma City, children across the nation, innocents, wonderful people, killed, no intervention. They're just killed. Yeah, just like the uh, plane crash we just talked about a while ago. I mean, uh, Lindsey Wagner walked away from the plane, but where were the angels of the other 200 passengers, 200 plus passengers? Yep, that's the question. That, that is it. Why do angels go on vacation? You know, uh, why is, is my angel working, but yours is out to lunch? That's you know? good. Um, why? In, in the book of Acts, you have uh, Stephen is stoned, but a couple of chapters down, Peter is freed by an angel. I think, uh, first of all, as you said, there isn't really no answer to this. It's been...
So there you have it, uh, July 4th. The question, of course, we're 219 now. How much older do you think we will get? Is a good question. The people of Oklahoma City used the day to thank America for all the help given during the uh, tragedy there. The American flag in Oklahoma City raised to full staff again for the first time today. Now, you'll recall immediately after the bombing, our president said justice would be swift, certain, and severe. And that was the solace uh, some of the victims' families in Oklahoma were taking today. I would like to ask you if you think, in fact, justice will be swift, fast, in other words, um, certain, uh, and severe. I think all three uh, categories are not unnecessarily likely. Swift, well... It's already moving very slowly. Trial will probably take forever, citing O.J. Certain. Uh, is it certain you get a conviction when you kill your parents with a shotgun? No. No. Is it certain you get a conviction uh, when you are accused of uh, uh, killing your wife and, and some other guy? No, not at all certain. So is in time tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from July 4th, 1995. Just got a note from the uh, WKY Oklahoma City News Department, and it reads as follows, Art, this is to correct the caller from Oklahoma City on your show about 4.40 this morning, I guess their time. Our state legislature is not calling for an independent investigation of the Oklahoma City bombing. Actually... A single legislator wants the state house to conduct an, an investigation. But this legislator apparently has his own agenda with regard to the nature of the explosion using so-called experts on explosives. Sir, I, I agree with you. So uh, On K-4, they right. had a, on Channel 4 in Oklahoma City, Right. they did a, a follow-up piece on Channel 9's uh, interview with John Doe number 2. Right. And they refuted all his uh, claims that proved that he wasn't any way possibly connected with the bombing. Yeah, but then I understand K-4 came back and attacked each point, point by point. Yeah. And so uh, that might be a point to, something to, that's the last I've heard about any stories about that situation here in Oklahoma City. Well, I appreciate your call. All right. Thank you. And it will eventually shake out. <laughs> You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight. Hey, Dave. You're just uh, speaking about Oklahoma City. About a month ago, we heard a story out of Oklahoma City that a radio uh, TV station, Channel 4 there, KFOR, had done an interview with uh, John Doe number 2. Whatever became of that? Well, they didn't do an interview with him. To the call. Uh, and if anybody in Oklahoma City can uh, straighten us out on the latest... I would like to hear it. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. My gosh. My gosh. Oh, my gosh, I'm on the air. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Where are you? I am calling. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Ray Santilli in London. Hi. 
morning, Mr. Bell. It's Mark from Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, yes, sir. Uh, the question I would have is, in one of the still frames, it appears that one of the examiners is wearing a latex glove. Were latex gloves around in that time period? Um, you've got more information than any of us have got. I mean, I don't think that um, anybody here has pinpointed um, the, the fabric of... Uh, uh, of um, either the costumes or, or uniforms that are being worn or, or of any of the other materials that are there. Wilson Dornan, Graham Trail. April 8th, Oklahoma City, Graham wins 50%. Keys, number two, Dole and Buchanan follow. So a few key straw poll results, if you'll excuse the... Uh, the metaphor, and uh, we're going to talk to Alan Keyes, Ambassador Keyes, uh, right now. So let's do it. They did. There'd be a revolution tomorrow. How about Oklahoma City? I agree. We're in deep um, expletive deleted. Dave in Redwood City. Thanks, Dave. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello, Mr. Bell. Glenn Campbell, where are you? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. Yeah, right. out in the country here. All right. Um, my dad is very unemotional, and he's not into any anything really except for teeth. You know, he's a dentist. But I asked him the other day, do you believe in UFOs? And he said, well, I've seen one. And I said, what? And he said, well, when I was nine years old. In the terror, not knowing what city would go up next. Imagine the terror we just had with um, Oklahoma City. What if that had been a nuclear device? Impossible? Not at all. According to most of those in the know, in fact, eventually, probable. Here's some... Hello, Art. This is Clinton, Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, yes, sir. Yes, uh, I have OS2 and got the Windows 95, and uh, Windows 95 did just fine for, except for some files. But they were real old uh, DOS programs that I had problems with, but uh, overall it's doing pretty good. Well, did it just... Uh, hello. Hey, is this Randy in Oklahoma City? Yes, hi, Randy. Hi, and I worked with uh, Ozone at the uh, Oklahoma City Quarter Treatment Plant, the first uh, pilot plant there. But in any case, how the ozone is replenished in the outer atmosphere, it's from the uh, ultraviolet light that creates it. Whenever you run... You're certainly welcome to. The judge in the Oklahoma City bombing case, get this, refused to step down despite requests from both the defense and the prosecution. Instead, he's moved the case to Lawton, Oklahoma. I've got a lot of listeners in Lawton, Oklahoma, and I presume you... Uh, a, brand, <laughs> a brand new smelly region. Okay, thank you. Yeah, where are you, by the way? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, all right. Yeah, brand new one. Brand, that must have been heartbreaking. I mean, you know, again, <laughs> yeah, we can laugh now, but I know how you feel when you have a brand new car. Uh, there's nothing like it. It must have been heartbreaking. Um either a pursuit of the truth or not. Art Bell doesn't have anything to do with it. What, didn't you uh, have a man on the air a few months back after the Oklahoma City bombing who uh, was just so certain and all this overwhelming evidence that uh, the number two man for the bombing was there in uh, Oklahoma City? 
They said they were pursuing somebody they considered to be a suspect. That's what he said. Okay. Well, it's just that I can remember when you had the uh, the man from Oklahoma City on there. The man from Oklahoma City the was... a very reputable man. He, he, he made a heck of a no, case. No, 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 no. Him. You're wrong again. See, your memory is very selective. He was an investigator for the television station, KFOR Television in Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. I, did. I remember that. I thought he was an investigative reporter. Today he's our congressman over here in, in this area, and we... Uh, a few of us got together and have been looking into a lot of stuff, uh, including Waco and the the uh, Oklahoma City bombing and uh, a lot of other stuff that in involves Clinton. But uh, we can't seem to get anybody interested in the stuff that we have. Well, what do you have? Well, I've got, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, there's a... There's Rod Lewis, where are you calling from, please? This is John in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I hey, good morning, Art. Hey, I, I got a... I, I got a point I want to get across. If they could read minds, like sort of like what you're saying, then this would kind of uh, they could use this in like the court systems, wouldn't they? To where they can maybe uh, leave little doubt to guilt and innocence. Well, I on the air. Hello, Art. Hello. Uh, this is the Art Bell for President campaign headquarters in Oklahoma City. Oh no, you don't. Yes. <laughs> no, if nominated, I refuse to run. <laughs> well, you know, uh, another one said if uh, if uh, nominated, I won't run. If elected, I won't serve. That's right. My staff that we put together for you is uh, we realize that uh, there is a possibility that you can uh, save America uh, from the your talk show. I'm convinced that if uh, if America if America is despair, is that what it's come to in America? Just like the bombing in Oklahoma City, I'll tell you something. If it really does come to that, this nation doesn't have long to go. It's a mark of the near end. You you can you can put your money down on that one. If we've decided in America, whether it's the militias or any of these other, um, they were covering in part um, the trial of McVeigh in the Oklahoma City bombing. Yes. And it showed a clip of one of the mothers of two of the children that were killed in the bombing from an earlier show. Right. And this mother and her father expressed some suspicion that they saw that morning. And I explained to them that I had put the, uh, complete set of all of the um, photographic data from the um, Apollo missions at my college uh, alma mater back in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City University. Now, you got to understand, Art, this was literally days after the bombing. And the idea that there was a priceless archive of photographs sequestered in Oklahoma City was pretty amazing to me, given the context of what was going on at the time. Well, I didn't even know that. They were blown up in that explosion? No, 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 no. no. Okay. But but the coincidence that that's, of all the, you know, it's like that old joke from Casablanca, of all the gin joints in all the world. Very primitive, uh, two beacons that operate, uh, but uh, I guess have had some problems. The president is grieving, but is going to Oklahoma City tomorrow. First, he will plant a tree to commemorate his friend Ron Brown. Life beginning as it ends, I guess. And I don't know what the moral to this story is, except live every day as if it were your last. That may bring a problem. I hope not. President, by the way, is going to Oklahoma City um, today, later on today. So 
April is always, uh, every year, something something has occurred in April. Don't ask me why, but it's, it's a month when things happen. And it's been so every year. Anybody have any thoughts on why that might be? Or it has been a loss. Our president in Oklahoma City, marking uh, not quite the day, but uh, observing the day ahead of time, because on April 19th, our president is going to be in Russia. So he went to Oklahoma City, where people are still trying to recover from the bomb, visited uh, relatives and survivors. And, by the way, um, we need to begin talking about this a little bit. April 19th, three years ago, Waco, one year ago, Oklahoma City. April 19th, folks, is Friday. The government installing metal detectors, more security, cameras, bomb detection at all kinds of federal buildings, and I've got a tip for anybody. If you're planning a trip, Friday would be a good day not to visit a federal building. But Where are you, dear? In Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. Yeah. All right. And I'm going to, I have tons of questions. I mean, I could talk to this guy forevermore. His, his <laughs> well, children, right. I answer uh, everything. <laughs> All right. Well, go ahead and launch a question. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, send off for his things and everything. I've got his address, but I just wanted to tell you that this is just the greatest program you've ever had. Oh, there's no question about it. Oklahoma City was proof of that. And well, not not just Oklahoma City. The the World Trade Center bombing, the yes. uh, the series of bombings by the Unabomber. Yes. You know, all of this, these these three episodes have have happened almost simultaneously if you look at it from a a, a long range point of view, and it's unprecedented in American history. Was your to do? I wanted them to read the whole thing through, so I tried to make a. A believable uh, adventure scenario. Uh, I tried to put myself in the in the skin of the protagonist, uh, Earl Turner, as I was writing, and uh, and to make it exciting. You know, this was one chapter a month, and so something exciting had to happen in every in chapter to to uh, to keep the, up the interest. All right, are you um, pleased by or? Um not pleased by the fact that apparently Timothy McVeigh, uh, the man accused of blowing up the uh, Murrow Building in Oklahoma City, no, uh, apparently okay. embraced your book and your story uh, almost as uh, uh, specific instructions. No, no, I, you, you're sort of implying that my book was the inspiration for the bombing in Oklahoma City, and well, I don't believe that's true at all. I think the inspiration for the bombing in Oklahoma City was the massacre in Waco, Texas, that took place two years earlier. And uh, you might ask uh, Bill Clinton and Janet Reno whether they're pleased that uh, what they did uh, in Waco and killing all those women and children uh, has uh, inspired uh, uh, Timothy McVeigh and others to uh, to blow up uh, the federal building in o Oklahoma City. That's and uh, I, I recall doing an interview uh, on the radio. Another radio station was interviewing me, and I, I began to see the pictures of Oklahoma City. And that moment is sort of ingrained in my memory, the way so many others are throughout our history, the Kennedy assassination and so forth. And that moment, when you began to see what was going on in Oklahoma, uh, didn't it flash through your mind? What flash? Hello? Hello? Hi, this is Carol in Oklahoma City. How you doing, Carol? 
fine. Am I on the radio? Well, I sure hope so. Okay. Um, okay you should, first of all, you should turn it off or you'll be all confused. Yeah, I, I can't hear it. Mm -hmm. I did turn it. Um, oh, I got in. Oh, um, okay. A seven-count federal indictment. Recovered automatic weapons, 400 pounds of ammonium nitrate. The same stuff that was used to take down the Murrah Federal, federal Building in Oklahoma City. The group had produced a video. The feds have got it. On the video, it shows you where to place and how to place explosives on the various buildings I mentioned in order to most easily bring them down. The age group? All right. First time caller line, you're on the air with Whitley Streber. Hello? Uh, yes, Art? Yes, sir. Where are you? Uh, my name is Sid. I live in Oklahoma City. All right. And... Uh, Whitley, I just wanted to relate a story that uh, I called the other night and told Art a little bit about this. Uh, when I was a, a kid, I was 11 years old, and uh, I had a, a very vivid uh, experience where I was taken and shown all kinds of things about what's happening with the UFOs. And uh, they said that... ...adjusted in Houston to give them a new home. And we are bringing in, uh, bringing in Iraqi nationals to treat them with liver transplants in Oklahoma City. And if we are doing this for the enemy and we are allowing our troops to die, I am sorry, but I must say some very harsh things right here. Is this not treason? Treason. <laughs> We're on the government's competitors. <laughs> Got to remember that one. Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Philip Hogue. Hello. Hi, Art. This is Andy in uh, Oklahoma City. Hi, Andy. Uh, I just uh, I heard your little short mention by your guest earlier of the uh, possibility that aliens would have some uh, uh, good uh, free energy uh, devices, and I wondered if he had <laughs> He said they thoughts. might have the workable ones. Oh, well, I, yeah, and if, I wondered if he had any serious thoughts on possibility of what that might involve as far as, you know, what his thoughts are on that. Well, I think it was a facetious comment, sir, more, right. di more directed toward the uh, observation that there doesn't seem to be anything real and workable that we can lay our hands on. I imagine as such. And, and on a more serious note, I want to know if he had any thoughts, and I look forward to trying to track down a copy of that book. Uh, and I did get the information. Thanks. Is uh, it in 78 or 79 yen to the buck? Oh, it was awful. So improved a little since then. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Wayne Green. Hello. Hello, this is Tony in Oklahoma City. How you doing? Just fine. I had a question for Mr. Green about uh, putting out a newsletter. All right. And speaking of dollars, uh, I'm an expert in the field of electrical sign repair, and I was thinking about putting something out to that effect and uh, generating some revenue. Is it reasonable to ask for a moderate price on these newsletters, or do you have to... Either way, both of them would be out of their minds, as far as I'm concerned, absolutely out of their minds. How do our children get into the middle of this? Is that what it was in Oklahoma City when they bombed the Murrah building? Um, how do you redress government wrongs by killing children? Twisted minds out there. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, is this live? No, it's Memorex. <laughs> okay, well, um, this is Fred in Idaho Falls. This is Art in Pahrump, Nevada. How are you, Art? 
Okay. Uh, I thought uh, the reason why I asked if it was live uh, because uh, I think one of your hours is put on replay. But I, I evidently I've got you live, and I. It's I must say it blew me away, and I guarantee it will blow you away as well. And uh, speaking of being blown away, Oklahoma City bombing suspect Timothy McVeigh has allegedly, reportedly, admitted to his defense team that he planted the bomb that leveled the Murrow, uh, federal building. The Dallas Morning News reports that McVeigh told his lawyers he planted the bomb during the day to get... Oklahoma, somewhere, huh? Yeah, south of Oklahoma City. All right. Well, what do you know about what truckers listen to? <laughs> I don't like the stereotype, don't fit it, don't listen to country crap. <laughs> well, now I, well, I wouldn't say country crap. Well, I would. <laughs> uh, well, that's all right. They, they give us tape. Government officials are nervously looking over their shoulders as we approach the anniversary of Oklahoma City and of Waco. And there are strange things appearing on our satellites in the stratosphere. If anybody had told me, you know, even two years ago, that we'd be sitting on the radio discussing, you know, the validation by NASA of my theory of alien life 27 years ago, almost 20 years ago, uh, on, on the radio. The radar screen. Well, this is just beyond all reason to me. Well, I mean, in, in terms of what they're concerned with, which is things like Oklahoma City, and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the China syndrome vis-a-vis -vis Clinton and the President's Summit coming up in Philadelphia this weekend. Uh, in other words, NASA is betting that the American people are so concerned with the immediate, with gratification, with luxury, with television, with TV shows, with, with uh, movies, with fads. All right, Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, all right. Yeah. Uh, your previous caller uh, was mentioning a... Yeah about to fly into Area 51. Yes, you don't have a very good phone, sir. You're kind of hard to hear. Okay, it's on a pay phone. I'll try to do the best I can. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, your NASA guest uh, uh, alluded to a, a project where they were going to go out and fly by a, a comet. Yes. Not the least of which is the events going on around the trial uh, in Oklahoma and in, in, in Denver regarding Oklahoma City. I was struck today by something so incongruous that it really is making me look at this in a different light. It turns out that the FBI, the lab that, of course, is going to be vilified by the, by the defense, reported to, which, by the way, when they walk foot by foot back to Oklahoma City, they have never found that license plate. It literally doesn't exist. And he's found in a car by a state trooper all by his lonesome on a freeway. Mm -hmm. right, they don't call them freeways. They call them toll roads or something up there. He has a gun, a loaded gun. He's just out of hand, and they're willing to uh, let McVeigh stand alone as sort of the, the, the lone nut in this case, mm -hmm. just so they won't tip their hand as far as their involvement. And there's a, uh, there's a body of evidence to support that the FBI knew that the Oklahoma City bombing was happening and also knew that the World Trade Center bombing was happening well in advance and did nothing to stop it. Well, we know about a number of cases in which the uh, the FBI was involved in a sting that either got close to or was in fact executed, not necessarily in Oklahoma, but elsewhere. And so that is an imaginable scenario. But you think they're going to? They have blown their. They're not. They're part of it. Okay. We thought you were talking about Oklahoma City earlier. Ah uh, yes. And you said that you couldn't believe that our government would be 
doing something like that? Well, what he was implying was that the government had planted the explosive inside, explosives inside to blow up its own building. No, I don't believe that. Cynical well, as I may be, I do <laughs> not believe that. All right, the serious stuff. Jurors Wednesday begin to consider whether Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh will be executed or spend his life in prison. Uh, it should be quite a process. The prosecution plans to call 45 witnesses over a period of three days. Most, including no doubt my guest uh, tomorrow night, will talk about the loss of their loved ones. It's going to be very heart-wrenching. You are going to see testimony over the next three days that is going to uh, be hard to watch. Hi, Art. This is Bob from northeastern Pennsylvania. Hi, Bob. I was wondering uh, if there's uh, been any talk about uh, General Parton's uh, bomb damage assessment of the Oklahoma City bombing. Well, months and months and months ago, yes, there was a very great deal of it, sure. Yeah, okay. Because it seems like a very plausible theory, you know, based on his analysis, and he seems to be uh, generally qualified. Well, it's a theory. Okay, thanks, Art. As we go back to him and your calls in a second, I got this fax from Randy. Uh, Art, what is going on? There have been five tornadoes in Oklahoma City, winds to 75 miles an hour here in Arkansas, and two more tornadoes in Texas. The weather is not the same anymore. Well, of course, uh, Randy, I agree with you. Now, there have always been tornadoes in Oklahoma. That is not unusual. But there is no question about the fact that our weather is changing. It might be in Phoenix. Now, well, no, again, you're using the word incident. I'm saying that the, 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 the rumors, the fear, remember, after Oklahoma City, all you have to do is flick your eyebrow and people get scared. That's right. It has triggered a paralysis reaction. That's right. To where, look, if, 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 if someone were to set off a firecracker in a uh, garbage can in Phoenix on the 20th or the 18th or the 19th or whatever, the media would be all over Phoenix, given all these rumors. And we could land on... ...to preserve snapshots of the 20th century for future generations. Beanie Babies. A pair of Air Jordans. A newspaper headline on the Oklahoma City bombing trial. Seal them in a metal container and you have instant archaeology. That is, if future historians... Eager for a peek at the past can even find the estimated, get this, folks, 10,000 time capsules out there somewhere filled with everything from Elvis memorabilia to Bun. And later, in examining the tape in slow motion and freeze frame, he discovered an unknown object in the sky. The ABC TV affiliate in Oklahoma City, KLCO Television, showed the tape on Tuesday night. The object is cylindrical, traveling at an estimated speed of 9,000 miles an hour. It traveled more than seven miles in less than two seconds. The storm chaser is Lan... I'm going to take a shot at this. Lamphere. Lan Lamphere. And but uh, I didn't know where to begin. But tonight, KOCO, Channel 5 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma... Uh, Cherokee and uh, Cherokee Ballard, 
as an anchor um, for their station, as well as uh, Scotty Travis, who I have become very good friends with. They are the most fantastic people in the whole world. They have- this is what I think I would like to talk to you about. A federal judge in Denver Thursday formally sentenced Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh to death by injection. McVeigh, who is rarely spoken in public, was allowed to speak before the sentencing and quoted the late Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis as saying, quote, here's what I want to talk about. Oh, no, which shot are you talking about? The shot of that you said there's a half a dozen shots of the earth from Oh, the... at least. I mean, I'm, I'm not, that's not a, a, a complete list. I mean, we just happened to run into about half a dozen in what I was looking for. And let me tell you why I was looking for a shot of the earth, all right? And in fact, in the Apollo 14 material that I got from Ken Johnston, we got in his archive, which he had squirreled away 30 years ago at the uh, Oklahoma uh, City College, we got three or four shots of the Earth above the lunar module Antares, which landed, I think, uh, three or four degrees above the equator, north of the equator at the Framara region. And Shepard had to stand out in front of the the lunar module and lean back because the camera was mounted on their chest backs so they had to aim with their whole body it wasn't like they had a had a camera they could move around separately it was mounted on a rigid uh, uh, mount on the chest of the spacesuit so they had to lean back and take the picture up the ladder up the limb above the antenna and up into space a quarter of a million miles away and there's this beautiful frame crescent earth well the reason I wanted to get the earth which, by the way, in that frame, measured with those lenses, is two degrees across. It is exactly the right size. Is because if there are glass domes on the moon, and there's more than one, Jim, all right, then... What did you conclude? I, we tried to call Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma City. This, I was living in uh, Oklahoma at the time, and they said they didn't see anything, but they had other people report it. All right. Well, that, my friend, is typical, uh, a typical sighting. Believe me, you see something, you call an Air Force base, and uh, they generally say, no, we didn't see anything, or... Um, first of all, I don't believe that millions would die in a bioterror event. Uh, I think that's a bit of an exaggeration. Uh, I think more likely you would get something like uh, the equivalent of dozens and dozens of Oklahoma City bombings going on day after day. Uh, it would be terror in slow motion because the disease might spread, Uh, and people would be dying over time. Let's take anthrax as a simple example. Everybody has heard the word anthrax, but very few people, even doctors, actually know what it is and what it looks like. Um, This is Rich in Oklahoma, and uh, being from Oklahoma, I'm uh, definitely interested in what happened in Oklahoma City a couple of years ago. I lost a family member there, and I want to know if he's done any uh, remote viewing and... um, if he could uh, let us know anything about what really happened that day, for example, this is this is a it, it's a, a frightening aspect, and I certainly hope that uh, that it is not the case. Uh, there are there are situations that uh, that do bother me. Uh, one such such situation is uh, a case I had, and and and. Uh, well, the caller mentioned Oklahoma City. I mean, that's just one. That, that's just one. I, I tell you what, hold on, we're at the top of the hour again. Daryl Sims is my guest. You want to know about Daryl Sims, go up to my website, click on his name, and take a look at his top secret clearance, now converted to secret. Just so you know who you're listening to, I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. 
of, of all this. And yes. um, what's really been haunting me is the uh, the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, I've got a video that uh, shows the early footage locally there that was broadcasted of Oklahoma City that where they discussed that the um, Oklahoma City County bomb crew had found undetonated bombs, more than one. Are, were you aware? Listen, he, uh, the caller was asking whether you thought Tim McVeigh, uh, with regard to the Oklahoma City tragedy, uh, might have been one of these mind control types that we talked about. I'm really not sure. That whole setup just really stinks to high heaven. I don't know what exactly went on, went on there. It's like trying to... Are obviously interested in. The only other state in the Union which has this provision in its constitution is Oklahoma. And it is that state tonight that has convened two grand juries to investigate the Oklahoma City bombing, to investigate the potential suborning of perjury and the strangeness of the McVeigh trial in contravention of the state constitution. Hi. Good um, morning. This is Ben in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, actually Tinker Air Force Base. The other special state. Yeah. Uh, my question is, uh, you mentioned earlier that... Um, uh, the, the potential of Clinton utilizing this to get the spotlight off of him. Um, this was one of our... Not, well, I, I jumped in on that. That was, that was me. Wag the Red Planet. Kind of strange, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, actually, the reason I'm calling tonight is I'm in Oklahoma City. This is Jay. Yes, Jay. Um, I'm a law enforcement officer here in Oklahoma City. Yes, sir. <laughs> and a while back, the cartoon that came out in reference to the Oklahoma City bombing trial... Oh, the Benson cartoon? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I was just calling to personally thank you for the stud that you took on that. Green, good morning. Where are you? Good morning, Art. This is Jay from Oklahoma City. Yes, sir. Great to talk to you again. Uh, I just had a quick comment, question kind of deal for your guest. Uh, sure. Wayne, how are you doing, Wayne? I'm doing great up here in New Hampshire. Oh, uh, I'll just kind of side with Art about this deal as far as if we've been to the moon tonight on what I've heard tonight so far. And my question... Hubbard, hi. Where are you, please? Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. All right. Uh, did you feel the earthquake? No, we didn't. Yeah, you had an we earthquake. We detect those, too. We get, what, 300 a year or About 4.5 on the Richter, not uh, too many miles from you. Anyway, um, uh, go ahead, sir. Well, golly, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in complete agreement. I don't know what to say, but except that... In Oklahoma City, WKY. Hi, Andrew. Uh, I'm a retired Air Force Master Sergeant with a top-secret SSIR clearance and have always wondered, considering that reconnaissance satellites can even discern license plate numbers, is it possible that there is potential satellite evidence of O.J. Simpson or his vehicle being present? Art? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's all right. Okay. Hey, uh, we're picking you up here on uh, Oklahoma City's Talk Radio, 9.30 a.m. WKY. Now, that is the way you do a promo. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, say, Don, it's a, a pleasure to, to hear a guy of your caliber on radio. Uh, say, I had something I needed to let you in on. Uh, Dramatic uh, situation in Oklahoma City. Uh, the day what we call them natural in our business. Great. Well, it was a people like you. I take people like you as a coach, and I make I make them into all stars if they learn the rigor and the protocols the right way. But they're the, on, on a bell curve of human potential and human performance psychically. There are people. And it's just him. And I've watched these planes especially over in eastern Oklahoma, from Oklahoma City east to Missouri line, you see these 747s come over. 
And I seen one one morning, about 10 o'clock in the morning, and he was really putting the stuff out. And there was actually a rainbow behind him. So he was flying east into the sun. Okay, but see, that doesn't automatically mean he was spraying. It could have been a contrail. Media alert from the National Flu Surveillance Network. Late peak for flu season poses unique dangers. This is from the National Flu Surveillance Network. Oklahoma City. Experts with the National Flu Surveillance Network are warning the peak of the flu season is striking late this year, posing an unexpected health risk from influenza into March, a time when physicians and patients are lowering their guard against it. Peak influenza time is a dangerous time, commonly during... And I'll go one step further before I conclude. Um, I think maybe there's a possibility that these Columbines and these Oklahoma, <clears throat> excuse me, Oklahoma City fireworks shows are really little American Reichstag fires, uh, creating chaos to basically terrorize the American populace into welcoming a fascist police state. Uh, the apparatus is already in place today. Fine. What's on your mind? Well, uh, you remember the tornado we had recently in Oklahoma City? Actually, there were a couple of dozen of them, yes. <laughs> it's terrible, right? Yes. Would you be interested in possibly knowing when... Uh, the next one's going to come along? Yes, I would. Okay. Uh, that okay. was all I had. Thanks very much, caller. Let's go on to Scott in Oklahoma City. Uh, good morning, guys. Mr. Schreiber, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just had one question. Was there anything found on the, uh, on the craft or around the craft that might have resembled personal effects? They have. And those, those, to me, those kinds of efforts, you know, that are acknowledged there, for instance, are where people are becoming psychic or emotionally sensitive, you know, to what's occurring around them. You know, we don't have to wait until these, these huge calamities that occur. However, uh, let me add this. The tornado in Oklahoma City. Yes. The F5. The finger of God, as they refer to it. Yeah. Uh, they clocked that officially at 318 miles per hour. Now, mm. There is something called the Fujita scale, which actually goes to 12. Mm. But according to science, an F6, which would be 319 miles per hour, is impossible in our atmosphere. Actually impossible. And there are reports that though the official clock was at 318, um, they believe it was 324. So the impossible occurred. Mm -hmm. Two high school students massacre their fellow students, then commit suicide. Carrie L. Nichols, convicted in the Oklahoma City bombing, is seeking files now in a bid for a new trial. Uh, Summer of Sam, uh, a new Spike Lee film, is based on the Son of Sam murderers. David Berkowitz, son of uh, Sam murderer, is uh, now said to be a model prisoner, counseling other prisoners. Charles Manson... Uh, Charlie. A Charles Manson follower and convicted murderer uh, who stabbed the actress Sharon Tate 16 times in a bizarre cult murder some 30 years ago is now seeking parole. Maybe in an area near you. That at the time we could have made a stand or maybe we should have done something else. I think we're going to be looking at uh, the issue of, of the Oklahoma City bombing. I think the Freeman issue. I believe, Art, honestly, that we've not been told the truth about anything. I really believe that. 
I think that there has been an agenda or there has been a facade on everything that's been presented to us. Because I don't know if you're aware of this, called me in a group and said, what can we do for the veterans? I didn't know who he was. And then after the Oklahoma City bombing and I heard about militias, I was scared to death of the man and then never returned his phone call. Well, I've learned also, Joyce, that uh, when you tread in areas that people don't want you to tread into, they attack you in the most vicious vile manner possible. I've been uh, going through this now myself for a couple of the evidence is overwhelming. It is, and I wouldn't have believed it art until 1994. I, I didn't start to waken until 1994, and it was after the Oklahoma City bombing because I was one of those people that said something is wrong here. I lived down in that area, and I called to get the seismographic report, and I actually took it to Rice University and asked them to analyze it, and they said, well, what? The uh, Ruby Ridge debacle. And uh, some of the things that happened, I was still with the Marshal Service when the Oklahoma City uh, bombing occurred. Uh, a lot of the reasons that the uh, Marshal Service, I think, decided to retire me, other than the fact that they wanted to put, once the uh, Democrats had come into power, they wanted to replace the uh, those in supervisory positions with their own people. You caught me with a five-minute truck out here. Uh, you were talking about that thing in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, Halloween, I was driving east out of uh, Oklahoma City about 150 miles through the construction. It was raining, and at the last bridge, something came off the bridge and broke my right windshield. Uh, needed to say I was uh, kind of alarmed about it. Sure. So I got, I got, I'm on a cell phone now. I called the 911, I think it was .7. Or the World Trade Center bombing, something. Um, I, 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 I think you probably meant Oklahoma City. Yeah, yes, uh, Oklahoma City. Sorry. Less than that, and less than the Trade Center. Yes, more of a more of a symbolic, uh, uh, symbolic uh, event. Mm. Ramadan starts Thursday, generally speaking, and Christmas is this month. So uh, both. Both, but that can't go on forever, of course. And it hasn't. Oklahoma City and, and the uh, world, the, the trade center. That's true. Cases in point. Absolutely true. All right, hold on, Ed. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest is Major Ed Dames, Sitex Ed Dames. I'm Art Bell. And this is Coast to Coast AM. Hello. Hey. Hello. That's you, yes. Where Hello. are you? Where are you calling from? Art, I'm calling from Oklahoma City. Okay. This is Paul. And uh, I told one question, but could I ask him a question about the murder building? And, uh, the murder building bombing? Yes. Yeah. I'd like to also ask him something about that. Go ahead. I, I lived just a few blocks from there where it blew up, and I was wondering what he thought about the investigation on that. This is Tony in Oklahoma City. Yes, sir. I got a couple of pretty weird ones. Well, give me your best shot. Oh, they're both pretty good. I don't know which one. I'll give you a was probably about 1965, and my brother and I both were real Beatle freaks, and I had this uh, portable record player, stereo. Right. USA Radio Network News, I'm Jason Walker. Oklahoma City has dedicated a memorial to the 168 people who died in that blast five years ago. President Clinton says the families and their great losses will not be forgotten. May you keep on your armor of light. May you keep your light shining on this place of hope. We'll do a storm of protests from servicemen and women. President Clinton addressing the dedication ceremonies yesterday of the Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial. There are places in our national landscape so scarred by freedom sacrifice 
that they shape forever the soul of America. Valley Forge, Gettysburg, Selma. This place. While the paperwork has been completed, Tim McVeigh's lawyer will not say if his client has given the go-ahead to seek presidential clemency. The convicted Oklahoma City bomber has until the end of today to file for executive clemency. If he does, the decision will be up to President Bush. If McVeigh chooses not to seek clemency, there is no way he can stop his May execution. ABC's Tim Sheld. Ago. Yes. And those, that, it's really interesting, is why they occurred there instead of East Texas where they were supposed to be was there was a little uh, jog in the jet stream, a little dog leg in the jet stream that right. just so coincidentally have happened right above the harp facility, <laughs> and it shoved a weather pattern <laughs> from East Texas <laughs> over to Florida. Now, a few, uh, maybe a year or so later, we had the Oklahoma tornadoes that everyone should remember, the Oklahoma City tornadoes. And Clinton went out on the air right afterwards and said, Hey, folks, don't worry. One of these days we're going to figure out how to knock out a tornado. Yes, he did. And everyone kind of laughed at him. But what they didn't know is just a couple months before, Dr. Bernard Eastland had modeled on the University of Oklahoma's computers in Oklahoma City uh, this new concept he had using harp instruments on the ground to knock out the energy of tornadoes by well, changing... The English is the most common because we're here in the United States, and that's what the majority of people speak. Makes the most sense to me. All right, caller, there you are. And for the previous caller, uh, KTOK is in Oklahoma City, and in Tulsa, it's KQLL. That's KQLL in Tulsa. All right, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with the ghost folks. Hello, yes, this is Dan, and I'm calling from Joplin today. Hi, I have a couple of questions. Have you ever thought of going to the grave of someone that you knew when they were physically alive, was blind? And <laughs> so uh, I don't think rods have any magical or mystical ability not to uh, screw up every once in a while. Then there's this one shot of uh, taking of a rod 3,000 feet up in the air from a helicopter during the worst tornado that Oklahoma City ever had. We don't have that one on here, do we? No, I, I, haven't, I haven't been able to get the license to that footage, but uh, Gary England of Channel 9 News in Oklahoma videotaped a rod flying into the wind, 300-mile-an-hour winds. Oh, mile an hour 300 wind. mile an hour winds, and this is at 3,000 feet above, you know, above the ground. The helicopter pilot saw it. Uh, they filmed it. Gary England, who is the meteorologist for the weather station there, uh, Channel 9 News in Oklahoma City. He saw it with a naked eye, and he also saw it on video, and he calls it an unidentified flying thing. Well, okay, isn't this then evidence, again, of a rod being particularly interested in a really fast-moving thing? A tornado's going really fast, right? It has some mass because it, it's picked up dust and whatever, God knows what else. Right. How can energy, vortexes, you know. And, and so to a rod, this would be a contemporary Almost. Yeah. Moving and that like fast. I, said, and, and I think that rods, if they've shown us anything as far as sounds and things like that, they seem to be attracted to low frequencies, maybe even frequencies that we can't hear in the normal human range. Uh, at, at the viewing, it was her face, and that's what I saw. She had come to the, to the room uh, when I was in Oklahoma City. Well, you had quite an encounter, didn't you? It was, yes. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. As I said, all of this is cumulative. But if you listen through the night and you don't believe when it's over, 
then you just haven't been listening or thinking. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. Yeah, all right. Okay, I have this one for you. I was, uh, this road that I'm referring to that these two incidents this happened on the same road in the same year. What, what incidents? Okay, one is on a school night back in high school. And their little microphones and the meetings. That was a riot. The whole thing was a riot. I'll, we'll have to, maybe I'll get Richard to tell that story. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello? Hello? Yes. Oh, I thought you said somewhere else. No. East. Uh, well, I, I just wanted to touch on the Oklahoma City uh, bombing deal. All right. Where, um, where are you, pray tell? Uh, from Dallas. All right. Um, you know, I think with McVeigh, you know, we have part of the story with McVeigh that's come out, but we don't have the whole story that's come out. I'm, I'm almost certain of that. Yeah, I think um, most people feel that. Well, um, you know, in Oklahoma, um, I've been, Sally from Dallas, not too far away, and I'm, I've been naturally very curious about all these things, and I've made contact with several of the people really involved with the uh, alternative investigations up there. There's a, um, a survivor, bombing survivor group up there um, that was once covered on 2020, and I, I have that report, but they're uh, actually trying to get the whole truth out, and they're Coming close to releasing a report, um, and I was wondering if you would be interested in having some of these people on. Um, Charles Key would be excellent. Um, he was, uh, at the time, he well, was... Well, what is the new news? Otherwise, let's see what's going on in the world. McVeigh uh, may indeed now file a request to block his execution for the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, the request would be based on about 4,000 documents the FBI turned over to McVeigh's attorneys earlier this month, just days before he had been scheduled to be executed for carrying out the blast that killed 100 because it would be God's error correction. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. How are you doing this evening? I'm all right, and you're on a cell phone located roughly where? I'm in the state of Oklahoma, headed towards Oklahoma City. Okay, and the second thing is, have you heard of the series Left Behind? Uh, left, is that Left Behind? Left Behind by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. No, I haven't. Uh, what, what's in that? Okay, it, it's a end-time series. It's a fictional portrayal of the Book of Revelations according to the interpretation of the authors. Uh, no, I'm not familiar with it, uh, but it sounds pretty interesting. Okay. It's going to come down. And I thought exactly the same thing. I said, well, why would they do this? And uh, number one, you had, I mean, this gets into the whole local city, Oklahoma City bombing and all the various theories, and I don't want to spend a uh, whole lot of time on this, but I'll just tell you some very unusual things around his, around his demise. Um, you know, the first thing being is that he, he never really made a statement. He was actually given the opportunity to have 20 minutes. And I know there's a, uh, there are groups that think as that gentleman does. And there are even groups that think we have done this to ourselves, as uh, uh, many groups did with uh, respect to Oklahoma City. I know, I know there's a lot of sentiment out there like that, and I've seen it on the Internet, across the Internet, so I know it's there. But I don't think so. I have, and I'm sure many of you have, been expecting this for years. I'm frankly surprised it took as long as it did. I think the FBI has stopped many of them before they happened. We don't hear about those too frequently. Most times we don't at all. So I think what happened is real, 
And uh, as awful as it seems to be, and probably if you could get close to where it's happening, even worse, uh, all have told. The uh, the television people and so forth that have uh, have actually come near the center of destruction have come away either crying or almost unable to talk. Sort of a loss of innocence, you know. Wildcard line, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, hi, Art. Uh, Kathy in Oklahoma City. Hi, Kathy. Hi. We were just talking about Oklahoma City. Yeah, uh, we went through the Murrow building. But um, before I say what I'm going to say, I want to very strongly preface it with the fact that it is... Uh, there's no way that you're going to be able to get vaccinated until we have a program here in the United States that begins to uh, manufacture these vaccines, produce these vaccines, and put them in, in the storage, obviously, for, uh, for use by common doctors, as opposed to the CDC. Now, they had 20 confirmed cases in Oklahoma City with this mock exercise, 30 suspected cases spread out over Oklahoma, Georgia, Pennsylvania. Countless more individuals were infected who didn't even know it. And, and there were answers to questions that the president's cabinet, in this case, uh, again, uh, senators, former Senator Sam Nunn acting as president, couldn't even get answers to. Uh, we know our lab facilities are, are needed to diagnose the disease. They're totally inadequate and out of date. There uh, is insufficient partnership of communication from the federal agencies, which we've always already discussed, of course. The only way to deal with smallpox is with isolation and vaccination, and we don't have any, enough uh, not only vaccines, but enough room or resources for effective isolation. You get into a whole series of things. For example, the governor of Oklahoma uh, asked for vaccine for every one of his citizens, as he, as he had to, <laughs> in the interest of his state. Hi, Art. This is Kathy in Oklahoma City. Hello, Kathy. Hi. Um, I just have two quick things I want to run by you. Last week I was telling my husband that I had a gut feeling that the anthrax was a distraction and that uh, Osama was actually going to introduce Ebola virus over here. Mm-hmm. I heard what Richard said. Yes. But then I heard today that actually what was going on over there was an Ebola-like virus. And it's sad that you and I have to always think that maybe, just maybe, we're not getting the real picture. Episodes like Roswell, and there are a lot of people who don't believe that Timothy McVeigh acted alone in Oklahoma City. And there are a lot of people who are upset about the way we handled the Waco. When all these things occur, people tend to lose faith with government. And, and that's really, to me, that's the, uh, that's the sad part about it. Let's... I'm a truck driver, yeah. Uh-huh. Andrew's from uh, just a little bit east of Amarillo and west of uh, Oklahoma City. Yes, sir. Um, I have the uh, the Sony that you speak of. Oh, is and it? And it is excellent. Isn't it neat? It is. Uh, how did you manage to find it? They're they're really rare. I unfortunately I did call the Seacrane company as per usual. Something like two thousand of Saddam's supposedly defecting Republican Guard into the United States, uh, where we then settled them in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is of course right near Oklahoma City. Uh, one of the things that is not really reported about the Oklahoma City bombing and Timothy McVeigh. Remember John Doe number two that everybody said looked like a Middle Eastern man. Uh, a lot of people thought it was an Iraqi. Sure. Uh, but you know he was hanging out with these Iraqi pilots and soldiers. You're on the air with Pam Reynolds. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Kathy in Oklahoma City. How you doing, Kathy? Good. And Pam, I have two questions for you. Um, I saw a, sh- a program on television, Discovery, for 48 Hours, where at the very end you were talking 
you were telling your story and you said when you met up with your relatives, uh, you felt as, as though you were standing in the breath of God and it caused me to basically jump up and go, she's beautiful. So there are two police officers corroborating each other's reports from Oklahoma. Uh, what do you know about Oklahoma and Bigfoot? Is that an area where it's seen? Yes, it is. Matter of fact, I um, I attended the FAA Academy there in Oklahoma City. In fact, my daughter was born there in Oklahoma City, so I spent quite a bit of time and I uh, had a horse and I was able to get out uh, quite a, uh, a bit in the distances. And um, yeah, there's no question that uh, Bigfoot, especially, uh, you look down towards the Washita Mountains, which goes down toward Arkansas. And uh, if you, uh, I was in the Navy with a Pawnee Indian, Pawnee and Kiowa. Uh, a combination, and I went over to the reservations, and uh, they had no question in their minds that the uh, Bigfoot existed there, uh, have have for centuries. So there's no question. These gentlemen, from what I heard uh, on the first interview, there's uh, the gentleman is very sincere. Uh, he's, I think, he's saying something quite accurate. Are you? I'm in, I'm, I'm in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. All right. Yes. Do you have a prediction? Yes, I do. Huh. Uh, fairly simple prediction. Um, the whole doomsday, whatever, everybody thinks that we're going to see something drastic and nasty. I, I don't believe that. Um, a good friend of mine explained it to me very well one time. He said that when you cook a frog, yes. you don't throw him immediately into steaming hot water. It was three years ago in late January. I was on a run from Oklahoma City to Anaheim, California. It was 2 a.m. Westbound on I-40, approaching Flagstaff, Arizona. As I climbed the mountain pass, I ran into the heavy snow. Actually, it had been snowing for some time. The road was a solid sheet of ice. My population. Uh-huh, exactly. We're going down here to rule. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Kathy calling from Oklahoma City, and I certainly hope that uh, Tinker for Space is never ground zero for anything. Uh, well, it, w it, it would be. I've been having bad nightmares about nuclear war. It would be. Tinker would be. You know it would be. Remember at the heart of the Cold War? I mean, Tinker had uh, a big X right across it. Oh, man. I didn't know that. <laughs> of course, I wasn't born yet, but... Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, I was. Anyway, uh, okay, before I answer your question, I have to tell you about somebody becoming invisible. I've been trying... World ...and in the world of terrorism, anniversaries are very uh, important. Uh, April 19th, the day that Oklahoma City uh, Federal Building was bombed, I believe is... Hitler's birthday, and then in 1998, April 19th, was the Columbine Massacre, and they picked it for those two kids, Klebold and Harris, picked that for a very specific reason. So we do it in our own society. Mm -hmm. It usually lasts less than five minutes, but again, if you're in a plane or if you're on the ground near one, they can do quite a bit of damage. Uh, here's uh, Sheila in uh, Arlington, Texas, who says, Mr. Bell, in uh, May of 99, Oklahoma City Tornado F5, uh, ask if he was there. It's the highest uh, storm winds ever recorded. It felt like your insides were being sucked out, your eyeballs, too. We went through it. Um, what was the date again? Uh, 99, Oklahoma City, uh, F5. Yes, I wasn't on that specific uh, tornado. I was on a tornado that was um, west of Oklahoma City. As a matter of fact, there were three or four uh, intense supercell storms that went up on that day and I believe killed uh, 30, 40 people. Holy smokes. Uh, west of Oklahoma City. And that just missed, you can see a little house down there. Uh, if, of course, people listening can't see it, but the tornado's passing right next to a, a farmhouse and probably missed it. I, it looks like probably about a quarter of a mile.
Wow. From from nailing that. As a matter of fact, when I was sitting there videotaping that, there, there was a, a group of people, local people there, uh, talking about the people. I really, there was, as a matter of fact, from that same day in Oklahoma City, there's a classic shot of a, of a, of a large tornado on the ground with a, with a horizontal tube coming out the side of it, a smaller one. Uh, again, you know, the physics um, are just are just amazing. Do we are. really understand completely, do you believe, the physics involved? You know, there's some researchers in Oklahoma that are doing doing that right now, a couple years ago. Yeah. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. This is Kathy in Oklahoma City. Hello, Kathy. Hi. Um, both my parents were in the Marine Corps, and they met at Paris Island and were married in... You too, huh? Camp Pendleton, yep. Yeah, Hello. Both my parents Marine were Marines. <laughs> One, my mom was a drill instructor for the Marine Corps. You can imagine that. Where I was born down in Lejeune. Yeah, but... Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, my name is Nikki, and I'm from Oklahoma. Okay. Oklahoma City. Right. Um, Hi, I have... How are you doing? <laughs> I have... Pretty good. I have three questions to ask you. Um, my first question is um, about the UFO occupants. Uh, were they Nordic looking? And second question: Have you read the book about the book called "The Threat" by David Jacobs? And third question: Well, that's a lot. 